0: Just when you thought it was safe to put on your headphones, you entered the darkest, wildest, sexiest depths of technology. And here to keep you on the bleeding edge of science, tech, and ethics is the Rated R radio star, the man of tomorrow, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He has a huge brain. And now, here's Brian.
1: Woo! 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 All right! It is time for Sovereign Tech, baby, the hottest goddamn tech show in the world today and I am the golden stallion the man of tomorrow Sabzu, the rated r radio star the man that some call the most interesting anarchist alive today and I'll tell you something I'm gonna up the ante on that interesting anarchist but first I'm gonna tell you how I'm gonna do that in just a second but oh, oh, oh man you know I gotta admit I have had I I don't know. I, I just I, I think I gotta make it past porkfest, which if if you don't know, porkfest.com or porkfest.org, porkfest.com, whatever. Anyway, you <laughs> you wanna, I'm going to be speaking at uh at porkfest uh this this year, 2017, of course. And I I, I think I just gotta like like get past that hump and then maybe I can relax. I have had such a crazy schedule. Not that it really has to do with pork fest, I mean it kind of does, but oh man, I did I just I can't keep up with it all. (laughs) It's just, it's madness. It's a miracle of God. No, I'm sorry. It's a miracle of Satan that, I can even get out of Sovereign Tech. No, that's not true. I've been putting out tons of content. If, if you're not a patron, I mean, pa- the, the patrons are whoo, they're running wild because I think almost every day this week I released uh, uh, something, you know, a podcast of some sort on there. We had the two live hangouts in the past week. We're going to have another live hangout coming out in June because now we're in June 2017. I can't believe that. I don't even know. I don't know. Where 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 the hell does the, does the time go? I mean, fortunately, time has been forever. So whatever. But anyway. Man. Yeah. Just, just, just crazy schedule. So, but we've got a ton to talk about in this episode. We're going to get into a subject that I don't steer clear from necessarily, but I definitely, you know, I'm not always very, I'm not generally enthused anymore to talk about it uh, just because... It's going in directions that I don't necessarily care for. Um, but we're going to talk about some blockchains in this one. Uh, we got a, a big, big story from The Atlantic, which has not just, I mean, it's more than just talking about Bitcoin and blockchains and all that. Because amazingly, this is the first time I've ever really seen in a very mainstream publication. I'm not saying it's the only time. This is just the first time I can really recall, certainly in recent memory or something, where the term not just anarchist, but anarcho-capitalism was so prominently put on display i mean in the atlantic's a major publication i mean that's as you know that's almost as big as it gets uh i mean not it's not the biggest but it's you know it's up there so anyway to talk about whew, how i'm gonna gonna up the ante on my anarchism i want to talk about this first real quick yeah, folks. You know, if this is your first time listening, or if you're new to the show, I know there's a lot of people that are new to the show. I mean, understand this is a tech show. We talk science, we talk tech, we get on the bleeding edge of all that. We talk about ethics. You can't talk about ethics without talking about anarchism, and of course, like I say in the intro every week, I mean, I'm an anarchist. I like it's 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 it can't help but color everything I talk about. Okay, uh, you can't compartmentalize anarchism. You just can't. All right, it's 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 either what you are or you're not, and I, I mean you know, if, if, well, anyway, that's a whole other conversation, but boy, if you are, say you're not an anarchist or you want to take your anarchism perhaps woo, to the next level, well, this is something exciting. So for a few years, and this is even before Sovereign Tech started, this would be back when, um, I used to be on free talk live as well, even though I did Sovereign Tech while I was doing uh, free talk live, but, uh, back when I was a, you know, a co-host uh, with uh, with the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, Mark Edge, and you know whoever else would 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 be on it at various times, um, of you know really a a show that reaches millions of people uh, every month, um, that being Free Talk Live. Uh, you know i I would get the calls. You know we would get people would call in and say, you know, oh, what do you consider like the best book on on you know human freedom and on anarchism or you know blah 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 blah. And my answer has been the same for i guess well this would be just about five six years now i mean i mean it was it would have been the same beforehand this is just you know as long as i have been on on radio um my answer has always been you know as far as like economics my my i think the top book out there is markets not capitalism um which is uh by put together by c4ss the center for a stateless society uh just a c4ss.org just a fantastic resource incredible website uh, in fact, they have some pretty exciting things going on right now. Uh, and then, as far as like anarchism in general, the book I've always recommended is Max Stirner's "The Ego in Its Own." Now, there is a new translation, and literally, I mean, pretty much this is the newest translation in a hundred years. Okay, now there is there was a, an, an edition that came out in the '90s that was uh, by by a uh, Cambridge University Press, which was a lot more like it was a more academic text and had, you know, has great footnotes to, you know, I, there's a new edition now. I haven't read it yet. So I, am not going to say that it's the best version out there. Okay. The Cambridge university press version that was, uh, that came out in the nineties has been the best in my opinion, uh, you know, to date, but even that, while there's some differences in its translation and the footnotes help out a lot, it's still based off of the same translation from way back in 1907. So now there is a completely new translation from or English translation, I should say, that that there hasn't been in like a hundred years, um, and that is it. Now they're, they're, they gave it a different title, "The Unique and Its Property." There's so much to say about the title itself, but I think that that's you know that that's great. Uh, you know, I like I think that that's a fine title, and and I get it. You know, the ego and its own, uh, you know, may not be the may not be the, the clearest version of that, you know, of that title. So anyway, uh, yeah, the unique in its property, uh, it's trans translated by Wolfie I Hopefully I said that right. But anyway, I recommend checking it out. I put it in the appendix of the show notes. I might leave it in the appendix of the show notes there, you know, you can get a copy there. And in fact, the link, you know, full disclosure, the link that is in the show notes is actually through, we'll, will take you through the, uh, the sex and science hour, amazon uh, uh page you know com, and it'll take you right to where you can buy the book on amazon and this just came out i mean literally so let's see it's june june 3rd 2017 i think it came out like may 24th i mean this is so hot off the fucking presses you can't believe uh so yeah. Get your copy uh, and you can get it, you know, you get it from Amazon prime. It'll, it'll show up at your house in a couple of days. days. <laughs> so, mine did. I mean, I, I just ordered this the other day. Uh, actually a great sovereign tech listener uh, and a sovereign tech patron, as a matter of fact, on Patreon, um, you know, he, he let me know about it and I was like, yep, ordered, you know, and I ordered it right there. I, I mean, you know, sight unseen. I was just like, no, okay. New translation. I'm, I'm on top of it uh, because I'm, I'm definitely, you know, Egoism, or, you know, egoist anarchism is the way that I identify, you know, as, as far as anarchism goes. And one could get into the argument on whether or not, you know, would Max Stirner agree even with the term anarchism? Would he just say egoism is really the only term you need? Yeah, sure. I get that. But for clarity, for, you know, the, 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 fail, the failings and they are legion of the English language, I use, you know, egoist anarchist. So anyway, uh, speaking of Sex and Science Hour, oh, yes, it'll be back this week this friday uh coming up you know so again we're on june 3rd here so whatever friday happens to be we will have a new episode of sex and science hour it is coming back Woo! the the producer of sovereign tech she just gave a Wee! <laughs> wee. oh there she is <laughs> so cute. i love you uh the lovely hyper intelligent dr stephanie murphy of course she's been on sovereign tech the past few weeks and uh and people have really enjoyed that because that gives everybody uh well you know you, you kind of get the the feeling of of like you're listening to sex and science hour again for a little while. Cause we always take, we do sex and science hour in seasons. And so we take season breaks, uh, from the show here and there. And, uh, you know, usually we'll do 25 episodes. Then we'll take a break. Then we do another 25, but, uh, yeah, we'll be restarting. What is this going to be season four? Is that right? It'll be season four. yep
0: This is going to be
1: season four. Season four. Woo. All right. So season four coming up this, starting this week. So if you've been waiting for it, it's it, we got your hookup. Um, Anyway, so whew, we got a lot to talk about. Like I said, a lot to talk about in this episode. Um, I just wanted to bring both of those points up and, and draw your attention to, I, I mean, I just like, you know, with the with the Max Stirner book, okay, with the unique and its property, I think it's so important that, like, you know, these, t- I mean, the English language changes, right? It, it's almost, I don't want to compare it to the Bible because I wouldn't, you know, because Max Stirner would probably have flipped out if if someone called his book the Bible, <laughs> Or compared it to the Bible. But, you know, the English language changes. I mean, and and things need to be refreshed here and there. And it's always good to get kind of new perspectives on things. And in fact, I think there's some real failings in a lot of the uh and, and I'm not the only one that says this. You know, there's some real failings in the English translations that have existed in the past because again, you know, the ego in its own or the unique in its property was originally written, what, 1844? So you know, there, there's a lot of clarity that needs to be had on, on all that. <laughs> but uh anyway, yeah, I, I think it's great. And and I, you know, I just I support people like really any any kind of work on, you know, that's covering Max Stirner and is building upon egoist anarchism more. I I really I want to support it straight up, um, whether I agree with it 100 percent or not. I, I really think that that's an important thing to do because it's a field of study that, that nobody's really studying enough. I mean, I just I don't think they are. They're, they're too busy, you know, fucking around with other versions of anarchism that I, I think don't go all the way. They don't go far enough. You know, uh, there might be some 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 gold nuggets inside of of, of what those versions of anarchism talk about. But I I really don't think they go far enough. And I mean, I'm not I'm not necessarily insulting them. I'm just saying anyway. So I'm glad that there's this new exploration of this work uh, out there. Okay, I just spent 11 minutes talking about that. And I apologize because this is a fucking tech show, baby. (laughs) So so let's let's get into the tech here. So let's get into the foreplay where we cover the little stories, you know, the little people, (laughs) the stories that don't require an entire segment. And I'm going to try this week um, to get into all of the segments. Uh, The past few weeks, there's just there's been so much catch up. And we've done those rare episodes where like we do single topic shows, Um, really been experimenting a lot with different setups for Sovereign Tech itself and seeing what people think about it. And a lot of people really love the episodes where, (laughs) you know i just run my mouth for two hours straight or longer uh and and like you know non-stop and no-stop and it's like oh well okay <laughs> i i wouldn't want to listen to me for that long but if, if you do rock and roll so you're kind of going to get that flavor this week as well uh but anyway so with the foreplay uh open it up talk a lot about vr of course computex was this week in Taiwan, uh, which. Uh, I thought there were a lot of interesting developments that came out of that, developments that have to do with the PC industry and not mobile. Now, granted, Computex isn't necessarily a mobile show, so you know usually you save that for Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. That happens, what usually in March, right? Uh, so you know that's understandable, uh, but it it was interesting to see. Really, I, I think not not quantum shifts. But certainly shifts in, in you know, giant leaps. I think in the computing industry in general uh, that were announced there. A lot of them coming from Microsoft. Also, not a shock because you know, the I mean, most people that have a PC run Windows. Just deal with it, Apple fans. Okay, that's that's how that's how it goes. And Apple, you know, oh man, (laughs) I was thinking about it the other day. So what is it? Was it early April when Apple came out and said? you know, they pretty much apologize, which credit to them for finally coming out and, and, you know, admitting that they fucked up because they never want to admit when they fuck up and they fuck up a lot credit to them for admitting that they fucked up. Uh, they said, you know, it's going to be, we're, we're going to do a refresh. We're going to do an update of the Mac pro. The Mac pro is their desktop computer, right? The, you know, the one that right now looks like a trash can. Um, and, and actually I think it's a nice looking machine. I, I say trash can just cause that's the colloquialism for it in the tech world right now. Um, like, I really thought it was a nice looking machine. It had its flaws because you can't really update it or upgrade it. You know, there's, there's a lot of problems there. And, and those are the things that, that, you know, Apple was apologizing for. And they said that, yeah, well, you know, we're, we're designing a new one. We're going to have a new design done in like 15 months. And I'm just like, you know, I was just thinking about that earlier, you know, while during Computex, I'm like, boy, you know, what's, what's going on with Apple? Because there's some, there's some huge strides being made here in the PC industry. And I was like, man, they still got 14 months to develop a new, a new desktop. And I was like, you know, when I was like 13, I could build a fucking desktop and I could do it in two hours. Like, why, really? Why the hell does it take 15 months to design a new desktop? The people that want a desktop, they don't care. You don't need to sell them on so much sexy. Okay. Like, obviously, the trash can design didn't work, you know? So just, just put it in a fucking case. Like, I, you know, I remember I had, um, well, I had the, the all right, here, here's really what I think they should do. They should go back. Apple should go back to doing uh, the G4 cube. And now you can do it. You can put a ton of power in, in a package that small, even though at the time, I, I've always said this, that was my favorite computer of all time. And it was a desktop was the G4 cube, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was 15 years ago or however long ago, but that was such a sexy machine. I don't think you can get sexier. Make that little cube again. I know you have the Mac mini, right? Whatever. Just, just do, do that you know because i i really i think it makes them look even worse that they're saying it takes them 15 months to build a desktop man anybody can make a desktop almost any way they want they could carve it themselves and all that shit in no time you know it's not like really really apple does not have to develop the parts stop no they do not have to you know if it's going to take them 15 months this thing better be fucking amazing I mean, it it better be like, it's going to have to look like something we've just never imagined before. That's, that's the only excuse they can come away with. Because like I said, you you know, a teenager with a fucking head for numbers and an Etch-A-Sketch could come up with a computer in a shorter amount of time than that. And by a long shot, they could come up with one in a day. I I just, I think that's so fucking insulting, like, like beyond uh, insulting in my opinion. So anyway, so Computex was going on this week. And there are those side tirades. Uh, Computex is going on. There's a lot of VR stuff there. Uh, You know, but before I talk about, you know, what that was, um, Firefox. So are we in version 52? I think we're in version 52 of Firefox uh, Mozilla announced that Firefox 55 now, like us, or yeah. All right. Let me finish the sentence. I'm terrible about this. Firefox 55 is going to ship with web VR built into it. And it's going to ship with support for the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift. So, you know, you're going to be able to explore the web in a VR fashion. Okay. In a virtual reality fashion with Firefox 55. Now, the point I was going to say is that we've been talking about this Come 2018 by, or by the end of 2017 is what I should say. Come the end of 2017, Firefox, in my opinion, it's going to be a like a completely different browser than what you have been using for a decade. It's going to be just like vastly. There's not it's going to be a totally new product. You know, and and this speaks for something that's happening, I think, across the board. Like, all the companies are totally new companies. I think Mozilla's acting like a new company. That's why they did their big rebrand. We've talked about that. Um, I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm leaving Firefox installed on my machine, even though I don't use it that often. Uh, you know, I, I recommend people use Firefox. Now, on mobile, I use Firefox all the time. Like, it's my first piece of software that I install on any mobile device, because I think on mobile, Firefox just kills it. I mean, they they. they you know, because they, they have the extension platform and all, or, you know, the add-ons platform built into it and everything you do, ad blocking, I mean, it just it just wrecks, uh, you know, every other app, in my opinion, on mobile. And, and I, as I've said, I think that's where Firefox really needs to concentrate. But now I feel a little bit differently because if they are going to push hard already this year in 2017, and obviously they're getting ready for Windows MR, right? Windows Mixed Reality, which is going to be, you know, Microsoft's used to be called Windows Holographic uh, or Microsoft Holographic, whatever. It, it's Windows 10 for, you know, for uh, mixed, for augmented or virtual reality, which is why they call it Mixed Reality, Um you know, that that's going to be the big push. And if they're getting ready for that, then, yeah, OK, Firefox is going to be ready for the future, because I really think that Windows MR is going to be, you know, this is kind of the future <laughs> So, uh, or virtual reality is is really, uh, you know, a huge part um, of the future. So anyway, uh, yeah. Now, the interesting thing here is that, you know, speaking of actually of ad blocking, I, I this is a story I didn't have listed, but I want to mention it. Uh, apparently Google did confirm that they are going to be putting in uh, an ad blocking or ad blocking abilities into Chrome. Um, but here's the caveat. Okay. Yeah, they're doing that, but they're working with all of the advertisers and they're only in, in the statement from that, from Google is that, or from alphabet slash Google is that Chrome is only going to block the annoying ads. So they're not really doing ad blocking and they announced this week, uh, what did they call it? Not, not it's not Google contributor the, there, there's another name for it now, but they, you know, they kind of refreshed, they canceled it in 2016. Google contributor was this idea that you could pay like $5 a month and whatever sites worked with Google contributor. Uh, like if you paid the $5, you wouldn't get ads on those websites that worked with Google contributor and Google would, you know, pay out that $5 or, you know, parts of that $5 uh, to websites um, you know, that that took part in it and that were based upon how many visits those websites got a month, right? So they have a new version of Google Contributor out there now. Um again, this is all part of that, you know, really they're not they're not actually blocking, you know, they're working totally with the advertising industry. This really isn't an ad blocker. So guess what? You're gonna want to keep um, you know, you're gonna want to keep UBlock Origin or, you know, whatever your favorite ad blocker is, uh, up and running on your on your web browsers. That's that's just my recommendation. Uh, because again, you know what Google decides is annoying and not, I mean like these autoplay videos, all this different stuff. I like, I don't know how much they're going to want to interfere with that. So it's sort of depressing because at first I was like, okay, Google is finally, finally realizing, um, you know, all these ads are really like killing the experience, especially on mobile, which is why I was saying, you know, install Firefox, Okay, on a uh, you know on your mobile device because you can actually put UBlock Origin on Firefox there, and, and you can keep all the shit from popping up. Um, and I was like, yeah, maybe they're just finally realizing, oh shit, you know, we really we got to do something about this. We we can't let this ride. Um, but no, they're I mean, yeah, it's that's partly what's going on, but at the same time, I think they're really just trying to kind of force advertisers maybe to do things a little bit differently uh that maybe helps out with their bandwidth and doesn't fuck with their like i i think google's you know b- being completely selfish about this not that i have a problem with being selfish but let's just be clear they're not being altruistic okay which is what i think a lot of people feel was going to happen it's like oh yes this is so wonderful Google's going to implement ad blocking no they're not they're not blocking ads they're just changing the ad game they're not really blocking them. And, and I and I don't think that any of that is actually going to help uh, any further with securing, you know, your your web browsing activity and thus your devices and your computers and blah, blah, blah. Because that's what I you know, that's why I tell people all the time, because it's like, well, isn't it kind of isn't it isn't it sort of unethical to to ad block, you know, on, on websites, because that's how these websites make their money. And that's why I don't have to pay for the news that I read, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Your job. Okay. You you know, you're, if there's a duty, if there's a, if there's a a citizen's duty, a civic duty, okay, on the internet is to secure the shit out of your devices and your PCs and whatever else. That's, that's your, that's your one and only concern. Your concern is not how are these websites I visit going to make money? That's their job. That's their concern to have. Okay. Running an ad blocker secures your machine, secures your device, secures your computer. That's what you want to be, that's what you want to worry about. All right, because none of these news organizations or anything are going to do a goddamn thing about, you know, when when something like the WannaCry ransomware goes out there or we're going to talk later there's a new one SambaCry, you know, nobody's going to do anything about that. What matters is, and I'm not saying ad blocking would have stopped WannaCry, but I'm just saying that, you know, for example, your job is just to secure your shit. That's all you need to worry about. Don't don't worry about the ethics of how these people get paid. D- just don't. So, anyway, all right, another side tangent. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> but, uh, but let's talk about some other stuff that happened at Computex, uh, and then I do—I I really do want to get into uh, our, our main stories here this week. In fact, we, like I said, we've got a huge one um, opening it up. So the rest of Computex. All right, come on, <laughs> let's get to it. So speaking of Windows MR, which is kind of how how all that all that started. Uh, by the way, I mean Chrome is also going to have Chrome VR, uh, and that is explicitly going to be mobile and. Uh, And desktop, where you're going to have that virtual reality, uh, you know, web browsing experience. Um, I don't know that Firefox 55 on mobile is going to have web VR built into it, but I think it'd be kind of foolish if it didn't. Uh, But I didn't get a really find a clear answer on that. But anyway how are you actually going to see all this? How are you going to take advantage of web VR? You know, how are you even, you know, what's the virtual reality internet even going to look like? Well, the way you're going to, one of the, one of the ways that you would be able to do that would be by putting on a Windows MR headset. Now what these are, are virtual reality headsets and they are virtual reality. They're not, they're not really augmented reality. You can't see, you know, it's not like Google glass or something where it only, you know, covers like your vision partly. Um, They revealed a bunch at Computex. We finally got some specs, some specifications on exactly what are going to make these things up. Um, And, you know, you got to look at at quite a few. There was the one from Lenovo, which probably looked the best, like as far as overall look. I mean, but let's be clear here, regardless of what these things look like. I mean, these are not going to be as far as an aesthetic. You're not going to make a virtual reality headset look sexy. Unless you have like fantasies about them from like the nineties or something, then these might look sexy, but really there's no way these are going to look sexy. Uh, let, let let's just get over that. They, these things can look as ridiculous as they want because there's just no hope any either way. Uh, but that really shouldn't matter because you're in virtual reality and you're not, you know, having to encounter anybody in, you know, real reality and physical reality and IRL, uh, so, um, So, you know, it doesn't matter what these things look like, in my opinion. Uh, The interesting thing with the Windows MR headsets is that they are going to have sensors on them that don't require. So, like, what is it? I I forget exactly what they call them with the HTC Vive, but they're like beacons that you have to set up in a room. You have to put them in that way. You can interact with the room uh, and you can walk around and all this is to where, like, with the Oculus Rift, you sort of have to, like, stay in one place. You don't really walk around because the Oculus Rift uh, doesn't have. Uh, any sensors to give you awareness, you know, spatial awareness within the room that you're you know, using VR in um, It's where, the, you know, the HTC Vive can do that. Uh, also, Windows MR headsets can do that to a degree. But keep in mind that Windows MR headsets, uh, you know, virtual reality headsets, they, um, they they are physically connected. They are tethered, you know, by two wires, um, you know, to your PC. So, and they'll probably work with the, uh, you know, the project Scorpio, the new version of the Xbox, the Microsoft, uh, is going to be announcing, I imagine a D three very soon. So, uh, and, and the connectors are, there's an HDMI 2.0 connector and a USB 3.0 connector. Now I think those two points are important. Okay. Uh, because the interesting thing is, is that Microsoft comes out with, and it's a full size HDMI 2.0 connector. Now, granted, you know those two connectors are probably important because those are ports that exist um on uh, you know every Xbox out there right now you know not even just project Scorpio but on Xbox as well and again like I said I think Windows MR or you know this this virtual reality setup that you're you know uh what's the word I'm looking for platform I guess uh or I would I wouldn't call it a protocol but I guess I'll say platform uh platform that Microsoft's coming out with you know th- it's gonna have to to you know, be a thing on Xbox as well. Uh, I mean, it would just, it'd be stupid if it didn't. <laughs> so anyway, uh, with, so with Windows now, the reason I think it's interesting is that, you know, a lot of people were talking about, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago with the Surface laptop, which is the laptop, not the Surface Pro, which that all got announced to. And that's a nice looking machine. There's some interesting things with that, like the fact that the Core i5 version, which is a full Core i5 um, KB Lake is going to be uh that it's fanless. I I I think that's that's wild that they've gotten the, the the heat issue down that much. But regardless, the Surface laptop, which is a more traditional laptop. A lot of people thought, "Wow, that's so backwards thinking for it to have a USB 3.0 port when really, you know, it shouldn't it if it's going to be future-proof, shouldn't it have a USB-C or th- you know, Thunderbolt Thunderbolt 3.0 and all that on it? Like like this doesn't make any sense." Well, now I think it makes sense because the Surface laptop it, you know, needed to have the ports, which the Surface Pro doesn't without dongles. Anyway, uh, well, it does have the USB 3.0, but I don't think the Surface Pro is the full-size HDMI. It has the mini, so that's not so bad. But anyway, I think the reason they went with USB 3.0 is because they knew that all of their, you know, all of their hardware partners for the Windows MR headsets were, you know, were, were using USB 3.0 as the standard, and so without having to put a bunch of dongles on it, and with You know, Windows 10 right now, this year anyway, of 2017, concentrating so much on creatives. That's why they call it the creator update. And then in fall, what are they calling it? The creative update, I think. Um, You know, pushing pushing that so hard and pushing really as far as creators go, particularly with virtual reality and augmented reality. um, I think they wanted without any dongles, they wanted people to have their premier laptop, that being the Surface laptop, uh, and they wanted you to be able to plug in a Windows MR headset you know, from one of their partners and that it'll work out of the gate. So now I think it makes sense why they didn't use USB-C because they were thinking, they weren't thinking about like, you know, the future of hard drives and all these different things that you could connect. They were just thinking, how can we plug in, you know, this, this, you know, mixed reality future that we're pushing towards. And Microsoft really is. We've talked about this for some time now. We talked about this back in October. Okay. Uh, And this is how they can do it. And they knew that this was how it's going to be. So, so, again, now I think all of that makes a lot of sense uh, as to what they're doing. And it also makes sense why, because, again, the Surface laptops, depending on which, which version you get, only have Intel graphic chipsets in them. They don't have dedicated, um, uh, you know, dedicated uh, GPUs in them, OK, from like NVIDIA or, you know, or, uh, AMD or something. So that also explains why they push so hard. For these uh, virtual reality headsets to work on really low end hardware, because, again, I think they knew, well, we, you know, we're going to we're going to give people the computer that's relatively inexpensive, that being the, you know, the Surface laptop, we're going to give them the computer that has all the connectivity and all the proper tools to build in this mixed reality future. So it, this is th- suddenly everything Microsoft is doing makes sense. Just by looking at the Windows MR headsets even though they're not themselves at least yet, making their own virtual reality headset. I mean they have HoloLens, that's kind of where where they're concentrating that's a whole other ball game, you know, like that, that, that's, that's a whole other thing, but it is, you know, part and parcel of, of, you know, working with all this. So, uh, the headsets very, very nice, I sound like a car commercial, but very nicely priced. Okay. <laughs> they, they really are. So I think the one from Acer is cost, is going to cost 300 and it's coming out in August, which that's early. Um, they're calling them developer editions, which is interesting, but, uh, but they're, they're coming out, they're coming out in August. And again, these, these have, you know, they, it's not like the HTC Vive where you, I don't think they're, they might not be as powerful as the HTC Vive certainly. Uh, but they don't have to have those beacons or anything. They have the, you know, spatial awareness built right into the headset, which I think is nice. Um, but yeah, only 300 bucks compared to what the Vive or the Oculus Rift costs. I mean, that's, that's cutting the price in half, you know? Uh, and, and again, you could say, well, but they're not as powerful. Yeah, but I bet they're going to get the job done. I bet Star Trek Bridge Crew, which just came out and oh, man, I can't wait. I, I know some Sovereign Tech listeners are big on VR and uh, and I can't wait to hear a review from them. I'm going to be getting my hands on these headsets, uh, you know, when the time comes. Don't worry. And some of them I think you can even pre order right now. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, the Acer one, I think, was three hundred and the one from HP, I think, was 350, and both of those, I think, are coming out in August. ASUS has one coming out. Lenovo has one coming out. Uh, I don't know where one would necessarily be better or more powerful than the other. I, like, I didn't see anything in the tech specs where one seemed to have some kind of crazy advantage. Um, I mean, maybe some of them will, because I, I mean, you can't really change resolution so much on these. But regardless. I, I would expect them all to fit within this price range of 300 to 350, you know, under sub 400, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Because, you know, if it's, if it's above 400 bucks, you might as well hash out the 500 to get, you know, the Oculus Rift or the Vive or, you know, even PlayStation VR or something like that. They, they really need to be low priced. Uh, so it's the right move. Um, but it is interesting to see. And, and the fact that they're coming out in August, I think, is tremendous because originally we thought they weren't going to be out till like December. Uh, so that's way, way ahead of schedule. Uh, so right on. Uh, let's see. Boy, <laughs> I want to get it. We, uh, the lead story is so long. I want to be able to get into it uh, right away. But um, I do want to just share some quick good news. Uh, Artem Volin, who is the uh, accused, alleged uh, runner of the site that, is, that has been down now for, for some time, even though there's kind of a, you know, sort of a phoenix that has risen from the ashes of it, of uh, Kick-Ass Torrents who was in, uh, he, he is Ukrainian, was in Poland and was arrested there. And he is now out on bail. Um, and he, and he's out on bail in Poland. He, he did not get extradited. Um, that was a major concern was that he was going to, that Artem was going to actually get, get, you know, cause the U S was, was the country going after him, not Poland. Poland just did whatever, you know, the U S kind of asked them to do, which is pr- problematic in itself. But, uh, but, really glad to hear that he is finally out um he, there were complaints of medical conditions or you know c- concerns of medical conditions i should say uh while he was locked up and that's what kept him from getting extradited to the us and now he is out on bail and so i am so happy because i was definitely you know fully on board with you know free art and balling uh and sovereign tech you know put all of our you know all the support we could uh, behind uh, what was going on with artem and i'm just i'm really glad to hear it so how about some good news baby <laughs> well there's been a lot of good news this has actually been a, a whole you know so far it's been 30 minutes of good news in my opinion we got a new translation of max sterner's work uh sex and science hours coming back firefox 55 is going all vr we got some awesome vr headsets coming out how about that baby what show do you listen to now that has good news i got you covered but don't worry we'll get into some bad news in a minute. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but uh, yeah, so, so glad to hear that Arnvallin is uh, is out uh, and we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that case. Um, I had somebody ask me this, and I, I'm going to talk about it a bit openly since we're getting into some blockchain stuff. Uh, some people asked me about ShapeShift's uh, new Prism uh, technology. Or, well, so Prism is like this investment portfolio that is, quote unquote, decentralized and is built on top of Ethereum, blah, blah, blah. Um and people ask me what I thought about it. Well, first off, Shapeshift.io, which is a great way to convert your you know various cryptocurrencies into other various cryptocurrencies. Like if you wanted to convert Bitcoin into Zcash, uh, or you know what whatever you wanted to do, you know, uh, um, I th- it it's a great service. I use it all the time. Uh, I I really really think it's handy. I mean, it it works for for so many different currencies. It supports so many currencies. Now, Prism is you know their kind of solution to maybe not so much needing an exchange where you could hold all of these different currencies, and you and they're somewhat gamifying even uh, investment portfolios in cryptocurrencies. It's not a terrible idea. Now, I am very anti Ethereum. I have huge problems with people that you or you know with projects that use Turing complete. Uh, you know Turing complete uh, languages, you know programming languages and whatever else, uh, because you know really the the term should be uh, Turing vulnerable because that's not secure. There's a reason that you know in a lot of computer science, Turing completeness isn't used because it, it you know it it's in itself it's almost a security exploit. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, and, and I have a bunch of other problems with Ethereum. I've talked about it over the years. I talked about it before Ethereum even got released. I mean, there's, just, there's, there's a laundry list of problems that I could describe. Uh, one, another one, real quick, is that it's very slow. Like, this is not a replacement for servers, and it never will be. It can't. It, like, it, it just straight up can't. Okay. Uh, but as far as how this is working with Prism, I mean, the question was, what do I think about Prism, Shapeshift Prism? Uh, I get the idea. I think the idea is fine. Uh, You have to have an Ethereum wallet for it to work. You have to have an Ethereum address. You have to have some Ether, you know, ETH or what do they call it? ETH, I think (laughs) amazingly, that's such terrible, whatever. Anyway, (laughs) I don't know who their marketing team is, Uh, but you have to have all that. Now, granted, shapeshift.io is an easy way to get Ethereum, right? But um, yeah, you have to set all that up. But this is something where I'm like, okay, yeah, like Ethereum can work for this because it's You know, you're the one doing the holding here. It's not like it's some kind of replacement for some some service, you know, some service that belongs on a server. Okay, Uh, so, yeah, what I see of Prism. okay, that looks nice. I I don't like the fact I wish it wasn't built on top of Ethereum. Um, I think that that's, you know, inherently an issue. Uh, Like I said, I think there's inherent security issues with that. But for what it is, you know, the abstract of the idea. Yeah, nice idea you know, again, I just, I really wish they weren't using, uh, you know, using Ethereum and they built it on top of something else. So whatever. Uh, but there, there you go. If you're wondering about Prism, yeah, I thought that was an interesting announcement. Um, you know, I don't often talk about blockchain technologies and blockchain developments because when some, you know, sometimes, I mean, I know the person that, that, that asked me about this. Uh, in fact, it was Daryl Perry of FPP.cc, uh, which who's doing, you know, just tremendous work there. Uh, You know, usually I don't talk about blockchain technologies because a lot of times if somebody emails me, hey, have you heard about this blockchain technology, like often I I set it up so that people can contact me anonymously. okay? Uh, And so, you know, it could be somebody from their team who's just looking to get some free advertising by me mentioning their shit, you know, mentioning their kit. And, and they are mentioning their ICO, which I think, all I, I think all ICOs, okay, which is, you know, initial coin offering, right? That's how they, that's how a lot of these new crypto technology, you know, new blockchain technologies get funded is they, they do a pre-sale and all this stuff. I think every single one of those is bullshit. Like I, I you know, the instant there's an ICO, I don't trust it. I, I, I just, I mean, it might end up becoming something great. And when it does, I'll talk about it. But at, initially, I, I just think ICOs are one of the, the biggest scams in the world. Just flat out, Ethereum did that did an ICO themselves, and I, I said it was a scam. You could say, well, but I, it's up to, you know, whatever its valuation is right now, and I made a ton of money. I, well, well, great, but that doesn't mean that, you know, like, I talked about, oh, God, did, I don't know if I talked about their, sorry, oh, Satan, I I, to, I don't know if I talked about this on Sovereign Tech Prime or if I talked about it in a Patreon episode, which if, if you want to become a patron, SovereignTech.com, just go there, it takes you right to the Patreon page, uh, but you know, understand that Ethereum, like, it really only has value based upon speculation. It does not have value because it delivers on what it says it can, on its claims of what it was supposed to be able to do. It has yet to deliver on any of that. And no, Prism is not a, an example where, see, Ethereum works. Not what they were saying it was supposed to do. It, that's that's not it. Okay. <laughs> this is a, like a use case kind of after the fact, uh, you know, that that they found out that it could work for but it's not what Ethereum was originally supposed to be all about. All right. So understand that, you know, Ethereum's still a scam because it's not, it's not replacing anybody's servers. It's not, I, I know you can say, well, Microsoft's working with Ethereum, all these different companies are working with Ethereum. Okay. But it's not out there. It's not implemented yet. And, and they're finding out test after test, and you can look these up. Now. when I say they, I mean a bunch of different companies are finding out, Oh yeah, but this doesn't, this is nowhere near as fast as using a server. We're not going to go with this. Um, So anyway, uh, yeah, where, where was I? Yeah. So, so your ICO with Ethereum, good. You made money off of it. That doesn't mean it's still not a scam. People made money off of the tulips. Right. (laughs) And, but that was still kind of, kind of a, well, I, uh, you know, what's a scam? What's human nature? That's a whole other, you know, very philosophical conversation. Um, Anyway, so yeah, Prism, yep, yeah, look, looks, you know, that that looks fine and dandy. Uh, but yeah, I don't normally talk about these things. And the point I was going to make is that because it's Shapeshift.io, look, they don't need marketing. They don't need, you know, if I mention shape, everybody already knows about Shapeshift.io. All right, I'm not giving them. You, you, you get what I'm saying? Like it's not like something where where I'm being used, you know, to talk about this. Like it's just like when I talk about Google. Who the fuck doesn't know about Google, right? <laughs> you know, so so it's not like if I talk about Google, ooh, I'm giving them free marketing. No, it's not marketing. Everybody knows, you know. So that's how I feel about things like Shapeshift or talking about Bitcoin or uh, some of the larger, more interesting, uh, you know, uh, blockchain technologies like Zcash and all that. Everybody already knows, you know. I mean, you, you can tell in the valuation or even talking about Ethereum now. Like talking about Ethereum now. Why not? Because everybody already knows about it. You know, who cares? Talk about Litecoin. Everybody already knows about it. You, you know what I mean? But if it's something new, yeah, I don't talk about it because I don't want to give them the press, uh, the undue press, uh, you know, unless they want to pay me. You know, if you want to buy an advertising package, I sell them. I have lots of advertisers. Rock and roll. Hey, you know, maybe it, I mean, you got to go through my through my litmus test, but, you know, you could do that anyway. <laughs> uh boy i wanted to talk about intel's core i9 they announced that and then what was it Threadripper that amd announced uh just crazy Uh, all i'm going to say is this for right now because i i really need to see some of these products really in action but like we are heading into as far as processors go we are heading into some very wild and interesting times i mean like the core i9 the the high-end version of it what are they calling it coffee lake which i that's pretty cool (laughs) uh I mean, what did they say? It was going to have 18 cores? <laughs> Just like these these crazy numbers. We used to theorize about this like years ago, uh, when like when I was working at uh, you know at certain tech companies. We used to talk about these things. And like we, we literally, we said, what if there was like, well, like what happens when we get to like 20 core processors, right? Because at the time the hot thing was, you know, the, the FX chips from AMD that were dual core and all this. And, you know, and, and that's when Intel as well was also starting to experiment, uh, experimenting with, you know, hyperthreading and everything. And we were talking, it's like, what if you had hyperthreading? What if you did like, and then, then you had like 20 cores and we called them planet killers. We were like, <laughs> you know, it's like, that, that's, that's what we'd say. It's like, yeah, that, that would be the planet killer. You know? And wow. Oh, are we heading towards that? Uh, I mean, if Intel actually delivers on what they're talking about with the core i9 and having all of those cores and a lot of the speeds, the speeds were, I think they're maxed out at like 4.2 gigahertz, um, which they're finally breaking their 4 gigahertz rule. The exciting thing here with the Core i9 announcement, okay, without talking about all the technicals on it and everything. And AMD's got great stuff going on too. Threadripper, the, the, the processor from AMD, the new Ryzen Threadripper, is literally, I mean, it is huge. It is one of the largest processors I've ever seen. It's a monster. Um, you know, the interesting thing with all of that is really... That this is not, this is no longer, these aren't incremental steps. These are, for lack of a better term, quantum leaps in processor technology. They're not quantum processors, but they're quantum leaps. You know, I mean, and wow, it's about time. Because that's been like a kind of a conspiracy theory in the tech world is that all of these processor companies have really been holding back releasing what they can really do, uh, you know, with these processors, uh, you know, for, for decades at least. And, well, now it looks like maybe if, if that was really happening, the, the ban on, on pushing what you can really do with processors would appear to have been lifted. Uh, what do they know? Is there something new coming out that they feel like, oh, shit, we can't just do this incremental release anymore? Maybe. Uh, or maybe, you know, Intel was just that scared of what, uh, of what Ryzen was doing. Or maybe there's the concern over the, you know, what's happening with, um, I mean, you know, Windows is coming to arm, Right you know, to ARM processors, maybe they're concerned that, well, we've really got to show people why you don't want to invest in ARM. And so we're going to come out with processors that, well, like my buddies and I used to call that could be planet killers, <laughs> you know, that they, they could just, that could crush anything you threw at them. Uh, and whoo, <laughs> So I'll be keeping an eye on this, uh, you know, but again, really right now, it's just announcements. No one's really seeing any numbers so much um, out of it or, you know, real, real world tests out of it. Uh, and when those real world tests come out, then we'll really break into, hey, is this yay or nay? Do we really invest in this? You know, is this worth getting building a whole new computer over? Um, and maybe this is something, you know, I th- speaking of, we talked earlier, OK, about how Apple said it's going to take 15 months. If they come out and say it took us 15 months because we were waiting for the core i9 or we were waiting for like the, the Ryzen AMD's Ryzen Threadripper processor or something, I will, I will take back what I said about insulting them for it taking them so long to build that desktop. If that's what they're waiting for, fine. But boy, they. It, in fact, honestly, it'd be twice as bad of everything that I described earlier in the show if they don't put in. Um, you know, either one of these chips, either Ryzen or coffee Lake from Intel, uh, you know, the I nine, I mean, it's all bullshit if they don't, in in my opinion, they'll they'll just, they'll be way too far behind. So, all right. Uh, I think I, I had one more story they had to do about the alpha go thing. So, all right. Yeah. I'll, I'll just mention it quick. Okay. So alpha go did a, a three series of the game Go. Okay, which if you don't know the game, go, I'm just going to ask you, please look it up on Wikipedia. All right, this is a very complex game. This is not chess. Uh, This is something that, you know, some people see it as as one of the holy grails of kind of game theory. And so... Alphabet slash Google making a quote unquote artificial intelligence, uh, and I put that in quotes, okay, <laughs> uh, that can beat humans at Go is seen as kind of a holy grail because Go requires so much sort of abstract thought, uh, really, to win at it. And AlphaGo, which is their AI uh, that plays Go, beat uh, what uh, uh, Kij I don't know if I pronounced that right in in a it beat him three to zero. OK, now, I mean, he's just a 19 year old, but he's considered the best in the world. Uh, and AlphaGo had already beaten champions in Korea, uh, in South Korea, and, you know, now beat the champions in China. Um, I just want to make the statement really fast. OK, I understand the complexities, the abstractness, you know, c- kind of what it takes to to play Go. I've, I've you know, I've played Go. In fact, you know, a lot of people don't like I, I heard about Go so long ago because I remember Nolan Bushnell talking about. Uh, where he got the the, the, uh, the name for his company, that being Atari, right? Remember Atari? <laughs> uh, Atari is is a phrase from the game go. And so when I first heard that I was like, oh I gotta play go. and so I, I am no good at it, but I've played go, I get it, I understand, all right. Uh, but let's be really clear here, regardless of of what you think Alphago is just machine learning really good at playing go. It is not a leap. It is not an advancement in artificial intelligence. It is not bringing on Skynet. It is not anything like that. All that this is is a program good at be, good at the game of go. No, I don't care how abstract the game of Go is. It does None of that matters. It is purpose-built to do one thing. It is not going to get added in and somehow teach uh, the rest of the machine learning out there. And suddenly, oh, we, we're going to have an AGI, you know, an artificial general intelligence. We're going to have Skynet or whatever the fuck you're, you're looking for. No, this is just something good at Go. That's it. That's the end of the story. There's no story to be told. Everybody was was making it like, it can think like a human. No, 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 it can't. <laughs> All right. It just can't. Even like with 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 chess. So, like, you know, everybody talked about these AIs that were really good at, at, at chess and they beat, you know, humans at chess. Kasparov got beat in the 90s, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. You know, honestly, even the human players have figured out how like the, the quote unquote AIs are playing chess. And now it's not such a you know, humans, humans can figure this shit out. And and I, I think it's interesting that like now human players are actually able to best the AIs at chess. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not like across the board that, that human players are beating the AI, but now it's also not like what it appeared to be in the nineties where, oh no, the AIs figured out everything to do about chess. No human could ever beat them. That's not true anymore. Uh, so, you know, again, this, this really, it, all, all you're creating are you know programs that are good at, say, like one thing. and putting them all together, I don't think that that equates to creating an AGI you know which is this again you know kind of the fears of or you know this is like the singularity or something like that uh, at some point i'm going to talk about we, we need to have another conversation about ai maybe that'll be next week uh in fact a, a great sovereign tech listener brought up um an, an interesting little little theory that's out there that uh, that i will i maybe i'll get into uh, like i said i'll get into that next week i was tempted to talk about it this week but uh we'll save it because we got a more interesting story to get into and let's get into that story finally Woo. Let's get into the story of the week. But before I do, let's talk about, you know, if you want to have a good time, we're talking about good news. You know, one of the things that I, I really find myself. Um, this is an ad, by the way, folks. <laughs> one of the things I really find myself, you know, these days with so much depressing shit going on, um, I find myself listening to a lot of podcasts that aren't necessarily news you know, aren't current events and that are, that more have to do with, you know, entertainment stuff. That's fun. stuff that everybody can kind of get together on. Uh, And I've said this before, you know, I mean, one of the, like what, one of the subjects that I listen to a lot of podcasts on about is star Wars straight up. I'm a huge star Wars fan. Okay. And in my opinion right now, one of the best star Wars podcasts going is resist the empire podcast. All you got to go is to, all you got to go to is resist the empire podcast.com. Um, This is a Star Wars podcast with that liberty oriented perspective that I just love that, like I said earlier, you know, just colors everything I do. And it's so beautiful to see it coloring Star Wars, the Star Wars universe. But you get the latest news. They do breakdowns on all the characters. Um, I I mean, this is it's such a fun show. Breakdowns on the characters is and they do this really cool thing. Where it's called the small or the the galaxy's smallest political quiz, and they kind of like they figure out okay, what ideology is Lando Calrissian? You know what ideology is Thrawn or something like that, right? Like they 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 pick a a character each episode, and it's a lot of fun, awesome production. I mean, I I just think it's it's such a cool podcast. Uh, And again, I I just I love getting I love knowing that kind of the way that I see the world, the way that I see everything, you know, gets brought into the Star Wars universe. Uh, you know, with the Resist the Empire podcast, so check them out, Resist the Empire uh, I cannot thank them enough for being a supporter uh, and a sponsor of Sovereign Tech. Uh, and I mean, you can let them know that you heard about it from the Golden Stallion uh, because they listen to this show. <laughs> so I mean, you know, they know the deal, and they knew that that you know, my my listeners. There's a lot of cross pollination here because. You know, Sovereign Tech fans, often enough, are Star Wars fans. So jump on board with this. I mean, I, I I listen to every episode. There are a few episodes in now. It is it is so much fun. Like I said, the production values are fantastic. You don't have to worry about that. A lot of people are like, yeah, but I don't want to listen to somebody who's recording on their iPhone. No, 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 no. These guys, they, they deliver the fucking goods, okay, with with Pax Libertas Productions. That's the name of the production house that does it. I mean, just just top fucking notch. Uh, material that they put out there they also do the lava flow podcast etc go check them out resist the empire i guarantee you, you won't be disappointed i mean i i guarantee that all right it is an awesome show if you're a star wars fan and you love human freedom this is your hookup i couldn't do it better i mean that i really i couldn't do it better uh th- just fantastic stuff so all right now let us finally whoo, really get into our lead story and in case you were wondering oh yeah we're going to do a movie review at the end of this one baby And we're doing Wonder Woman. Oh, just wait for that. Now, our lead story, this one's got some length. I got to admit, like this is, but I want to break this down because this is, this is where I think anarchism starts to really meet the mainstream. And it's meeting the mainstream through technology, which is why I think, that's why I thought a few years ago with Sovereign Tech, it was so important for there to be an anarchist tech show. Because I knew that the te- a lot of the tech that's being developed, you think about Signal, okay, you think about um, Retroshare, you know, a bunch of these different technologies that that take the that take kind of central that take centralized power away, uh, you know, from the, a lot of the tech giants and maybe even from governments themselves, um, you know, and then you think Bitcoin and things like this, uh, you know, I knew that. This is the direction things were going. And sooner or later, the news is, you know, the media is going to get on top of this stuff and they're going to start either, you know, praising or maybe vilifying, you know, what's going on here. Now, this article that I'm about to read from The Atlantic. Okay, here's the title. Cryptocurrency might be a path to authoritarianism. Uh, And I'll read the byline uh, or, you know, the the sub subheader here. Extreme libertarians, extreme libertarians. (laughs) built blockchain to decentralized government and corporate power. It could consolidate their control instead. Now, boy, I mean, just the massive conversation that could be had around just that subheader. But I'll save it. Okay. But um, this is an article where I do not 100% agree with it, but there are a lot of points in it that I kind of do. Uh, that I, you know, I want to cover. I want to talk about it. I, er, I heard from Sovereign Tech listeners. They said, hey, did you see this? I mean, I had a bunch of people email me the story saying you you need to talk about this because a lot of this is stuff you'd been saying for years. And I agree. Um, and other people and people that I have, tr- I mean, just tremendous respect for what they think. Uh, you know, they, they said that there was a lot of good points in this. I agree with them. Um, so let's break into this story. Like I said, it's got some length. I'm going to stop at various points to talk about whatever it's breaking down, but I think this is an important story to cover because this is one of the first stories, in my opinion, where technology and anarchism or what some people want to call a crypto anarchism, blah, 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 uh, have, have really come, you know, or yeah, I mean, they've come together and they've coalesced at a major news publication, that being the Atlantic. So, all right. Here we go, this is from May 30th, so just a few days ago, uh, 2017. All over the town, the parking meters are disappearing. Drivers now pay at a central machine or with an app. It's so convenient, I sometimes forget to pay entirely and then suffer the much higher price of a parking ticket. The last time that happened, I wondered, why can't my car pay for its own parking automatically? It's technically possible. Both my car and my smartphone know my location via GPS. My phone already couples to my car via Bluetooth. An app could prompt me to pay for parking upon arrival. Or imagine this. My car, which is already mostly a computer, enters. Oh boy, there's a Stanley breaking in. There's a fucking great statement. Yes, it is. I, I've been saying that forever, that cars are fucking computers now. They're not even cars. Uh, reading on. Enters an agreement, and I, and I say that with derision. I don't say that as a compliment. Um, enters an agreement. So the car enters an agreement to, to lease time from a parking lot, which is managed by another computer. It quote unquote, signs this contract just by entering the lot. Oh, contracts. By entering the lot and occupying a parking space in exchange, the car transfers a small amount of Bitcoin, the currency of choice for computers into the parking uh, lots wallet with computers handling the entire process, I'd never even be able to forget to pay for parking. The only way to fail would be for my car to run out of Bitcoin, in which case the parking lot has easy recourse. Because my car's ignition is managed by a computer. Woo! Concentrate on that sentence. The parking lot could just shut my vehicle down. Until you know, effectively it would shut it down until you could, you know, pay for it, right? Anyway, reading on, scenarios like this are possible when blockchain, the the digital transaction record originally invented to validate Bitcoin transactions, gets used for purposes beyond payment. In certain circles, the technology has been hailed for its potential to usher in a new era of services that are less reliant on intermediaries like business and nation states. But its boosters often overlook that the opposite is equally possible. Blockchain could further consolidate the centralized power of corporations and governments instead. Ooh, okay. Okay two points I want to bring up. One is, is that Toyota is supposedly, uh, experimenting with implementing Ethereum into their cars, uh, to do a lot of this very stuff that's being described. Okay. So this isn't, this isn't theory. What, what, you know, this whole parking lot scenario that was laid out, this isn't theory. This is something that's, that's really happening. And, you know, Toyota, which is a very forward thinking car company, a car company I generally appreciate, uh, you know they're they're on top of this now. I I don't I don't agree with just like with Prism. I don't agree with them using Ethereum. Okay, I think that that's a that's a mistake. That's a security problem ha- waiting to happen. But I get it. Okay, <laughs> like like and, and I mean and it proves the point that you know this isn't just some kind of like wild scenario this guy's laying out. It's going to happen. Now I do want to constantly you know I do want to bring up the point because other people have talked about this. Like how could you know could we implement Bitcoin into cars or something like this? What if you're like um you know you made uh you know you have you're on a lease. Or if you're making monthly payments on a car and you don't make your monthly payment, um, you know, and the payment maybe goes through Bitcoin or something. Uh, yeah. You know, again, you, your, your car could just get shut down. This this is already kind of happening without without blockchain technology. But blockchain technology, you know, might might be able to, to bring it a little more to the fore and tie in the money more directly with it. Uh, anyway, so but the, the, the other sentence, the other point I want to bring up, blockchain could further consolidate the centralized power of corporations and governments instead uh, this is what I have called the tyranny of the code. This is I've talked I've talked about this years ago. I had conversations about this at uh, blockchain events, at, you know, at conferences where I was asked to be a speaker. Again, I was asked, and they said, "Talk about whatever you want to talk about." So I fucking talked about this, and I said, "You've got a problem, and it's called the tyranny of the code." In fact, I have. I think I have the video up on my YouTube channel. Uh, you can just look up Brian Sovereign on YouTube, and you'll get to my YouTube channel where I gave a talk. I think it was Coins in the Kingdom. Um And very gracious of the organizers there to uh, they gave me extra time. They said, no, let him talk. Let him go. He can go long. Let him say whatever he's got to say. And I'm honored by that. And actually, in the in the Sovereign Tech feed, if you have the podcast feed, it I mean, it's a couple of years ago, at least, uh, but there are. Um, you know, my talk is available in the, in the public sovereign tech feed. So you can also find it there. If you just want to listen to the audio version, Uh, I actually think it's better in audio (laughs) than watching the video because, well, anyway, um, so not a new idea for me. Like what this guy's saying, look, I've already been, you know, his general premise, it would appear, I've kind of been on top of. OK, is that, yes, it could. And, and in fact, you know, you, you have the uh, companies that want to work. You know, you have blockchain companies that want to work with governments that are all about trying to, uh, you know, further uh, or, or, you know, may, maybe even make government more efficient. That should be a terrifying thought to people. But people do that. You know, some of these companies, uh, you know, really want to get on board with this. I I keep forgetting the name of the one. It begins with an F, not Vermont. Uh, Factum. That's the one I was thinking of. Factum, where they they explicitly want to work with governments. I mean, like crazy shit. So and that sort of initially disproves. Part of this guy's premise, because we only we only had, you know, we've got the initial abstract here of uh, that blockchains couldn't, you know, enhance corporation and governmental control. Uh, but he's kind of saying that extreme libertarians are going to take over um, if they do this. Well, not really. If blockchains are just trying to enhance governments, that's really not appealing to extreme libertarianism. Right. Anyway, let's read on some more. Like I said, there's there's so much to get into with this um, in his book. Reading on in his book, Radical Technologies, the urban designer Adam Greenfield calls cryptocurrency and blockchain the first technology that's, quote, just fundamentally, fundamentally difficult for otherwise intelligent and highly capable people to understand, end quote. Or let me read a little more. I was relieved when I read this because I have been pretending to understand cryptocurrencies, digital money based in code breaking for years. Bitcoin is hard to grasp because it's almost like a technology from an alien civilization. It's not just another platform or app. Making sense of it uh, first requires deciphering the political assumptions that inspire it. OK, um, b- before that last sentence about political assumptions, I, w- I don't understand w- what the fuck's so hard about this. Like I, I mean, that actually speaks against this writer in the first place. And, and, and I don't know if Adam Greenfield is all about radical technologies. Now, I never read the book. I don't know what Adam Greenfield's background is. Uh, but really, Bitcoin is not hard to understand. Blockchain is not hard uh, to understand at all. Okay, I mean, getting into the deep technicals of it. Yeah, sure. okay, fine. Like like maybe, you know, maybe you're not going to understand like how you program all of that. You're not going to have the programming language down or something. But like grasping the three generals problem and stuff like this. This shit's not hard. And I'm saying, believe me, I've talked to people who are not tech savvy at all. They really do get it. Like you can ask them, explain blockchain technology to me and they do it. Right. So, I mean, you know, I mean, just I mean, even like a hash, like, okay, just explain to somebody what a hash is. And then suddenly, oh, I get it. So that's that's kind of crazy. But now the the last sentence there, you know, making sense of it first requires deciphering the political assumptions and inspire it. Now, making sense of why it was created requires an understanding of the political assumptions. And I actually appreciate that somebody is finally saying, uh, no, Bitcoin was a very political technology, you know, uh, because a lot of people Don't want, and that includes Gavin Andreessen, who was, you know, head of development for so long of Bitcoin, uh, you know, don't want it to be a political technology, Uh, but it was devised that way, you know, at first. So I I certainly agree with that sentiment uh, from this author or from this, uh, you know, reporter, writer, whatever Uh, reading on Bitcoin is an expression of extreme technological libertarianism. This school of thought goes by many names, anarcho-capitalism or ANCAP for short. Wow. I mean, this guy's in deep. If he knows to call it ANCAP. Uh in fact, I mean you know most people that that are really into anarchism they just call it ancapism now uh but woo. Uh- <laughs> And usually if somebody says Ancapism, often enough, they're actually they're probably being, uh, you know, derogatory uh, towards it. But anyway, I'm amazed. This is the part that when I was reading this article and I saw that because I got this article, I think I got in one of my pocket emails or something um, initially. And then, of course, a lot of people sent it my way. uh, So that's why I'm talking about it. But when I first saw the guy mentioned anarcho-capitalism, I was like, oh, you might have some understanding of what libertarianism actually is. Uh, So anyway, anarcho-capitalism, let's read on. So this, you know, this uh, technological libertarianism uh, goes by many names, anarcho-capitalism or ANCAP for short, libertarian anarchy or market anarchism. Central to the to the philosophy is the distrust of states in favor of individuals. Its adherents believe society best facilitates individual will in a free market economy driven by individual property owners, not governments or corporations engaging in free trade of that private property. Now. I mean, I could get, you know, I could get really technical and say, well, you know, ANCAPism and market anarchism are not the same thing. Like <laughs> people that use those two different terms usually come from a couple different perspectives. Okay. Uh, and, you know, for a lot of people ANCAP, you know, anarcho-capitalism or ANCAPism is more of a right-leaning ideology is where market anarchism maybe would be more of a left-leaning or social uh, ideology. So, <laughs> you know, but what, whatever. Like, I'm just amazed that even the term "market anarchism" is is in the Atlantic. That's remarkable to me. Uh, and the description he gave is fair. You know that. Yeah, this is all about. Well, we, you know, we need to we need to think about the individual straight up. Um, and you know, the best way to facilitate the individual is for a free market economy that. You know, allows for free trade. Okay, Uh, you know, I'll 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 take that for what it is. You know, I'm not going to get into a bunch of caveats here. Uh, So, reading on, anarcho-capitalism is far more extreme than Silicon Valley's usual brand of technological individualism. Uh, Woo, Stanley breaking it again. (laughs) We will get through this whole article, I promise. Uh, But yes, finally somebody says it because so many people say that that oh, in Silicon Valley, you know, it's a bunch of libertarians out there. Those motherfuckers aren't libertarians. (laughs) or at least they're not about the individual. They're not like at the extreme level of where the individual is the measure of all things, right? Like Max Stirner would say, they're not fucking libertarians. These guys don't mind working with the state. Are you fucking kidding me? Google. I mean, they bend over and grab the goddamn ankles whenever, you know, the the government walks in, please. But that's good. So this guy's, you know, I mean, he's not two for two, but He's he's doing all right. <laughs> I'm just glad somebody out there is saying, no, don't think libertarianism is like what you see in Silicon Valley. It's not. And that's absolutely true. It's not. Uh, for one, the tech sector is libertarian reading on here. For one, the tech sector's libertarianism is corporatist in its bent. Yes. Woo. there it is. Cybertech's been saying that for five years. What took you so long, Atlantic? Whatever. I'm glad you said it. And amenable to government. Whoa, there it is again. If in a strongly reduced capacity. Fair enough. And Silicon Valley takes a broader approach to the liberating capacity of technology. Facebook hopes to connect people, Google to make information more accessible, Uber to improve transit and so on. The ANCAP worldview only supports sovereign individuals engaging in free market exchange. Neither States nor corporations are acceptable intermediaries. That, that leaves a sparsely set table. Uh, Add it, individuals, the property they own, the contracts into which they enter to exchange that property. Woo! Contracts and a market to facilitate that exchange. All that's missing is a means to to process exchanges in that market. Now, I want to stop there for a second. Okay, (laughs) uh, you know, a very clear point to bring up is that even with anarcho within anarcho capitalism, which I don't identify as at all. Okay there are a lot of differing ideas and many of them have no problem with the abstract notion of corporations. Now they don't want corporations, you know, corporation is a a legal entity recognized by the state. They don't want that sort of thing. Okay. But the idea of a gigantic business that, you know, maybe everybody could kind of live under, Oh yeah. You know, go to the Mises. No, don't go to the Mises Institute, but you could go to the Mises Institute and you will find some people theorizing that actually big business would be a huge part of a free market economy. I completely disagree with that, but let's be clear here that, You know, a lot of a lot of anarcho-capitalists don't have a problem with the existence of Google. They don't have a problem with the existence of Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So understand you're going to find both sides on that. I definitely lean on the side that, no, you're not going to have gigantic companies because, you know, little companies that aren't, uh, uh, you know, that don't have any uh, regulations in their way or any legal issues in their way would wipe the floor with large companies, you know, just just by their very nature. So. Anyway, regardless, just want to make that, that, that clear here, uh, reading on ordinarily money would be sufficient, you know, for this free market transaction, but currency troubles market anarchists. The central banks that control the money supply are entities of the state financial payment networks like visa or corporations aren't, uh, which aren't much better, um, you're, yeah, saying Visa are corporations, which aren't much better. Uh, that's where Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies enter the picture. They attempt to provide a technological alternative to currency and banking that would avoid tainting the pure individualism of the ANCAP ideal. This makes Bitcoin's design different from other technology-facilitated payment systems like PayPal or Apple Pay. Uh, those services just provide a more convenient computer interface to bank accounts and payment cards. Uh, for anarcho-capitalism to work in earnest, it would need to divorce transactions entirely from the traditional monetary system and the organizations that run it central banks and corporations could interfere with transactions and yet if individuals alone maintain currency records money could be could could be used fraudulently or or fabricated from thin air to solve these problems. Bitcoin is backed by mathematics instead of state governments. The Bitcoin blockchain is a shared digital record of all the transactions or blocks that have uh, ever been exchanged. Every transaction contains a cryptographic record of the previous succession uh, of, of exchanges. Each Each one can thus be mathematically verified to be valid. The community of Bitcoin users does the work of verification to incentivize the onerous work of cryptographically verifying each transaction in the chain that precedes it. The protocol awards a bounty in Bitcoin, of course, to the first user to validate a new transaction uh, on the network. This is describing mining. Uh, This is the process. Yeah, this is the process known as mining, a confusing and aspirational name for what amounts to computational accounting. There's a lot more detail that I am omitting, but the key to Bitcoin is that the network distributes Copies of one record of all Bitcoin transactions against which individuals verify new exchanges. This record is the blockchain, which is sometimes also called the distributed ledger, a much more uh, elucidating name. This is the missing element that's supposed to allow uh, the hypothetical anarcho capitalist tech utopia to flourish. At least that's the theory. In practice, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies don't really meet the ANCAP ideal. Perhaps it's an impossible goal. Imagining the end of both nation states and corporations is even harder than imagining the end of capitalism itself. Uh, now, here's here's one problem with uh, with this article is the author never actually describes what or never defines what he thinks uh, capitalism is. He does a good job of, de- of defining a whole bunch of terms, but never really says what he means by capitalism. Re- not, not really. He describes anarcho capitalism, but he doesn't describe what he thinks kind of capitalism is. Anyway, let's read on uh, greenfield speculates in this book that Bitcoin was never meant to be a store of value like state backed currency, but only a medium for exchange quote between parties who would presumably continue to hold the bulk of their assets in some other currency End quote uh, all right, let me stop there for a second. That is absolute bullshit that that I mean, that is pure bullshit. You can you can read the white paper. You can read a bunch of stuff from Satoshi Nakamoto, who created Bitcoin. And you will see that Satoshi Nakamoto, she was really um, you know, I mean, she was very clear that, no, this is money. This is something you are going to own. This is not just the medium of exchange. My favorite way to describe Bitcoin personally is it's PayPal and the dollar wrapped into one it's the transmitter and the money itself at the same time okay uh i i agree with greenfield that this is about how it's this is how it's being used now okay that it is being used just as a money transmitter but no i i personally i i think that really you know or not personally i know you can read it that it was designed to be money and the transmitter at the same time that was that was what was so revolutionary uh about the idea in many ways so anyway, so that, so that, that's, that's bullshit. Greenfield's off base uh, reading on anarcho-capitalism might seem fringe and unfamiliar to most people, but at least it helps explain the rationale behind cryptocurrency and blockchain. Unfortunately, those topics become even more confusing when Bitcoin and its kin get used in ways incompatible with their original inspiration, which turns out to, which, which turns out to be most of the time. Stallion breaking in again. Yes. I agree that most of the time it doesn 't you know a lot of these blockchains I do not see them being used to further the cause of the individual. I see them just trying to be you know, i mean a lot of them go under in the directions of really centralization. I think even ethereum does that um, you know and and i we could go down the list of, of companies of blockchain companies that are coming out, and that would be the kin that the author 's talking about. Uh, you know, that, that, again, they are all about working with governments, you know, or Bitcoin being used for banks and, and, you know, or being used by banks and, you know, interacting with banks, blah, 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 or, you know, all of this. Like, yeah, a lot of times it seems like most of these blockchain technologies just end up more supporting the status quo than really getting rid of it, you know, than, than, than really, you know, evolving beyond it. So I'm not so much against what what the person's saying there. Let's read on. As a medium for exchange, the Bitcoin is relatively limited. Some retailers, many tech-oriented, accept the currency for purchases, but it remains best known as a means to buy black market goods on darknet net exchanges like Silk Road. Uh, the fact that such users were illicit in the or such uses were illicit in the first place, the anarcho capitalist would point out, is precisely the reason individual freedom fighters should demand a decentralized market unbeholden to governments. Fair enough. Um, but Bitcoin's success has accidentally undermined its viability Uh, each bitcoin transaction adds more encrypted data to the blockchain requiring increasingly more computer power to verify and to earn the associated commission more uh, computing power means more energy costs to run and cool the machines which requires more capital and physical infrastructure to support those rising costs uh, inspire centralization adam greenfield tells me that two chinese giants uh, can control over half of the global Bitcoin mining operations. If they col- if they collaborate, a majority control of the blockchain could allow them to manipulate it. That's precisely the risk a decentralized currency was meant to avoid. Uh, more often, Bitcoin has been used as a financial instrument instead of a currency. From tulips to tech startups, market capitalism is flexible enough to turn anything into a trade a tradable security, a futures commodity. Bitcoin hype has ma- that's a really unfair comparison, but let's move on. Bitcoin hype has made it appealing for speculators certain to transfer their gains back into more stable state currencies, although its volatility uh, makes it a difficult case either as a story value or a medium of exchange. Okay, I'm going to stop right there for a second. So let's be clear here that, yes, there, there is the problem of centralization. I mean, there's a reason there's a gigantic Bitcoin civil war going on right now, um, a lot of which I've commented on in, uh, in recent Patreon episodes. Um, I, you know, I'm just going to say this, that Yeah. I I mean, Satoshi, like, made it very clear. Like, remember when, when WikiLeaks was saying, oh, we're going to start accepting Bitcoin and Satoshi, the community, whatever, was saying, no, 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 don't do it. It's too soon. It's too soon. The the technology's not ready for this kind of, uh, you know, for this kind of growth. And that seems to be, to me, and, and I've talked about this in the past, that, like, a lot of other technologies, not blockchain, not Bitcoin, but, like, internet speeds, hard drive capacities, which have gone in reverse, Uh, I mean, yeah, you can buy eight terabyte hard drives, but they're not commonplace and put in there by manufacturers of, you know, personal, of PCs. Um, you know, like, like a lot of, I think there was a lot of directions that Satoshi was expecting things to go faster internet speeds, especially if Satoshi, if she was Japanese, um, you know, in Japan, like, you know, three gigabit internet and like really crazy speeds are not uncommon you know, to where a blockchain wouldn't really, you know, the blockchain, even at a crazy size, wouldn't be so much of an issue. Uh, and at the time, again, we're talking like, what, 2009, 2010, you know, th- this time timeframe. Um, you know, th- like you were expecting, you know, one terabyte hard drives are coming to thing, two terabyte hard drives were, were becoming a thing, and the sales for them were doing great. You'd be expecting, uh, you know, hard drive space for, a, you know, huge huge, uh, you know, for everybody to run the blockchain, for it to not be a problem. Also, you have the issue of, like, you know, Satoshi didn't plan on ASICs being a thing, right? That mining was supposed to be by the CPU. That that wasn't expected to kind of break. So there's there's a lot of areas where technology outside of block, outside of Bitcoin, and even developments within Bitcoin, like say ASICs and all stuff, were not planned on, and that's really what allows for kind of this problem of you know where yeah a couple of uh, you know a couple of companies in China could could have you know a, a very terrifying control uh, over the you know the Bitcoin network. But that, that wasn't, like, by design, okay? In fact, it was designed for quite the opposite and expected, I think, a lot of different trends in the tech world in general to where that couldn't have happened. But it is happening. You know, I'm just – I'll – you know, fess up to that. I'll I'll admit that. Not that not that I haven't talked about this years ago, but, you know, just just making it making the point now. Um, Let's let's read on here. So the same uh, hype driving cryptocurrency speculation has also attracted banks, governments and corporations exactly the authorities it was designed to circumvent. Financial services firms have taken an interest in cryptocurrency. Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen has called for the Fed to leverage blockchain. Canada has been experimenting with a blockchain-backed version of its national currency called CAD coin, uh, CAD coin, Future cryptocurrencies operated by banks or governments might enjoy more productive use than Bitcoin, but those futures also undermine cryptocurrencies' ANCAP aspirations. Corporations and governments re-centralize control, for one, but also they undermine the discretion and anonymity that uh, accompanies free trade in the ANCAP fantasy." When the local or central bank manages the cryptocurrency platform, it also gets a record of every transaction that takes place in that economy. One doesn't need to be an anarchist to surmise potential downsides of that, of that situation. Picture China mandating state current cryptocurrency, tying the country's proposed social uh, credit system to that ledger. Or imagine if the North Carolina state legislature decided to issue all food stamp vouchers in crypto form to better manage their future use. Uh, Yeah. You know, Right. This is one of the things that I have talked about for so long in in the cryptocurrency in the blockchain space. Do not implement ID systems in that. You, I mean, just just don't fucking do it. Yeah, you got. You want to figure out how to solve default risk, right? Meaning you know, claim of ownership, say over whatever a coin represents or, you know, the amount that a coin represents or something, right. Or, you know, that a cryptocurrency, you know, represents or, or is designed for, you don't have to tie that to an individual's like identity. You don't have to tie that to their name, their age, their social security number, any of that horse shit. Anytime a company is interested in ID, I mean, just, just, you know, put up, put up the, like, like, look at them like, like it's a vampire coming towards you and put up your fingers in the cross shape and go, shh, you know, <laughs> because that that is that is so going to create the centralized control. So I think that's a salient point that the uh, that the author's bringing up here. And maybe we'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, let's read on some more. Even if Bitcoin's utility and value might decline, the distributed ledger offers potential uses beyond simple currency exchange. In theory, any internet connected device could participate in verified distributed transactions. Greenfield offers a simple example. The German uh, startup Slocket, which quote gives connected objects an identity, the ability to receive payments, enter into complex agreements and transact without intermediary end quote. The simplest Slocket device is a, a physical padlock that is connected to the internet networked, Locks are nothing new thanks to the, you know, thanks to IoT, which we don't like IoT on Sovereign Tech, Uh, but a blockchain-backed connected lock offers some additional capabilities. A distributed ledger lock could enter into a quote-unquote smart contract, woo contracts, an agreement whose terms are implemented directly in code. If attached to an Airbnb rental, such a lock could be programmed to automatically release when a smartphone belonging to a prepaid renter approaches. Likewise, it could be programmed to cease to unlatch after that tenant's contract had terminated. Or perhaps it could cut off the power or Internet service if a sensor inside the property undermined or determined that its occupants were cavorting too loudly or rifling through unauthorized cabinets. Ooh, yes. Okay, so you know, the example with like the the, the lock. Okay. Again, this is the thing you don't have to tie. All you need is like a code from a company that would, that would work with that lock. You don't need, you know, a company like Slocket doesn't need to, or slock.it, whatever they want to call it, uh, does not need to know your name, does not need to know your social security number, does not need to know much of anything. Okay. All you need is, you know, just verify that you paid for an Airbnb there might be a number attached to that, but that's all that's fucking needed. You don't need a bunch of identifying information, but the fact is, is that a lot of these companies do want all of that identifying information. Uh, why do they want it? Is it because they wanted to give it to give it to governments or something like this, or the government is coercing them into collecting it? Yeah, maybe that's part of it. Another part of it is so they can sell it off to advertisers in case their company ever goes belly up. Uh, it's kind of an insurance policy for a lot of companies and that's why they collect uh, data. Again, You know, fortunately, Silicon Valley, we've talked about this on Sovereign Tech in the past. Silicon Valley seems to be starting to look at uh, what they call data minimization, meaning particularly user data minimization, because you become on the hook, okay, for collecting all of that data, uh, you know, about your users. And so you actually and on the hook, meaning like they, you know, you could get sued. There could be insurance claims against a company and all that. And it could, you know, just just wipe a company out if one user, one person's, you know, Uh, uh, user data uh, gets leaked or used against them somehow. So you don't want to collect all of this information, but for some reason, a lot of these companies still do. Um, Anyway, reading on kick K I K uh, a startup that makes a messaging app popular among teens offers a more recent example of distributed ledger tech in action. The company recently announced plans to introduce its own cryptocurrency called kin kick will automatically dole out kin as rewards for developers who build apps on its platform, like stickers or chatbots. Um, let's see. Yeah. Uh, Kix CEO Ted Livingston uh, presented the move as nothing short of emancipation from the oppression of ad driven content platforms like Facebook and YouTube. Quote, a cryptocurrency for an open future. End quote. Kin is built atop a platform called Ethereum, uh, shit, which is based on the same distributed ledger as Bitcoin, but Ethereum uses that technology to express a different aspect of the ANCAP model contracts for woo contracts sorry i'll stop doing that for libertarians contracts exist to facilitate market exchange so smart contracts are always backed by currency ether in ethereum's case if bitcoin is digital money for people ether is digital money for computers it decides how to spend uh, itself via software automation why tout a private, decentralized, a distributed ledger currency as an agent of liberation when it amounts to a complicated, software-backed company town store? One answer, it could give the workers a stake in the company store. In the world of cryptocurrency, this is known as an ICO or initial coin offering. ICOs incentivize the use of an unproven platform like Kix by distributing initial, an initial batch of cryptocurrency to early adopters. In theory, the value will increase if the platform becomes popular, creating a valuable base investment for its initial users i already talked earlier about icos and how they're bullshit um let let me let me read on with this in the extremist libertarian aspiration smart contracts would allow anonymous actors to trade anything whatsoever in an untraceable way via unregulatable markets instead actual smart contracts icos and distributed ledger backed devices mostly offer new ways to interfere or to interface with private technology with the with the private technology industry. For example, in Brooklyn, a, a solar microgrid startup called Transactive sells clean energy to a community via Ethereum. And Toyota just announced a partnership with MIT. To develop distributed ledger-based infrastructure uh, for future autonomous vehicle services, we we talked about that earlier. On that front, the anarcho-libertarians share something in common with the plain vanilla technical li- libertarians: a belief in the wisdom and righteousness of a fully computational universe. My hypothetical smart contract parking meter, Toyota's future blockchain-backed rideshare system, Slockett's blockchain lock, uh, Kix Kin, Transactive Solar Grid all are just technology companies enjoying the capitalization and publicity spoils of the latest hot trend. They might become more than that, of course, but in order to do so, something terrifying has to happen first. Now I kind of want to talk about smart contracts or contracts in general out of the gate. The one thing I'm going to say here, I want to read on more because we've got a ton there's a little bit more to this story and we're running very short on time. Um, but I, you know, I want to talk about this real quick. And, I, and I've, I've talked about it years ago on Sovereign Tech. Here's the problem with contracts. Here's the problem with smart contracts. Here's the problem with basing transactions on a blockchain. Okay. It's very simple. People have to, and I mean, and it, this goes beyond blockchain. Okay. This issue with contracts goes well beyond that. It requires people to agree to, like, say it's based on Ethereum here, right? It requires people to agree on the use of Ethereum. Do you get what I'm saying? What if I, I mean, and I don't, I, I, I don't accept Ethereum, okay? Like, like I, I don't accept it's like, I don't even accept its existence, right? You know, I mean, I might use a service that, that would be built on it or something, okay? But, like, as far as Ethereum being a legally, or not, not legally, but being, like, some kind of, like, binding system of contracts that says you own some kind of property, what if I don't agree with what Ethereum says is your property? You know, then what? Like, I really think this is why, or in my opinion, I'm not saying this is, you know, that I know this for a fact. In my opinion, one of the reasons that I think uh, Vitalik Buterin, who is the creator of Ethereum, lead developer, blah, 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 uh, that I think that he, he quote unquote joked about having Ethereum control like drones. I mean, and he was talking about like, like Hunter killer kind of drones, like Terminator style stuff. Okay. Is because, yeah, how, how the fuck are you going to enforce what Ethereum says is, is a contract. Without a state, that's that's really the funny thing here, okay. And I and I think the author kind of kind of kind of jumps on this a bit, all right. But this is going to become. I mean, really, if everybody's plan is well, we'll have smart contracts. This will all get handled on the blockchain. It won't be a problem. You've got to accept that. I mean, here here's a less extreme example. How about a marriage? This has been done. People have gotten you know they have their marriage contracts on on the blockchain, right? Okay. What if? And I'm not saying I want to do this, so I won't use me. What if somebody? What if some guy, or maybe more 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 fun? What if some gal wants to sleep with some dude's wife? Okay, she sleeps with him, or she or she she sleeps with the, with 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 the wife. Awesome, hot. I'm sure is amazing sex. Okay, the dude is probably a dud. Now, you know, what is, is he going to, I mean, how does, like, how exactly does this work? Like, does he go after the lesbian and say, uh, I can't believe you slept with my wife, blah, blah, blah. Don't you know we're married? And she said, well, I don't accept what the fuck's on your contract. You know, I, I don't accept your blockchain that says you're married. I mean, like, what do you do about that? Like, how exactly, you know, can you take any recourse on the lesbian? What if she doesn't accept your shit? This is a real problem. This is a problem with contracts in general. That's why every time I've said contracts, I went, woo contracts, because I, I think I think that's crazy. Like you have to how are you going to enforce those on people that don't accept those contracts? Now, I, know, I mean, people talk about escrow like there's some solutions that are out there. But this is the part of the conversation nobody's fucking having and they need to start fucking having it. Especially if you're trying to get to this, you know, anarcho and capism future. Not new stuff for me to be talking about. I, I can give you the episode numbers from years ago where I've talked about this. And no, it, it's, it's fucking crickets. Other people that have been, on, that, you know, uh, that listeners of Sovereign Tech, people that have been on the show, every time a, new comp- a blockchain company would come out and say that they're doing this, they're doing contracts, and they're working with governments and all that, or not, not, even if they're not working with governments, they would tweet at them and say, okay, tell me, how are you going to enforce this? And they, nit- I mean, it's fucking crickets whenever you talk about how you're going to enforce your smart contracts they don't have an answer i'm not saying there aren't some some answers out there that can handle some situations but not all and i think you need to have those answers especially when you're trying to sell people on anarchism okay let's go forward here um, consider an off the cuff off the cuff example of smart contracts from an ethereum advocate now let's be clear here That this is from an Ethereum advocate. It's not from a developer. Take it, maybe take it with a grain of salt. Um, An individual wants to purchase a home from another person. Traditionally, there are multiple third parties involved in the exchange, including lawyers and escrow agents, which makes the process unnecessarily slow and expensive. Uh, With Ethereum, a piece of code could automatically transfer the home ownership to the buyer and funds to the seller after a deal is agreed upon without needing a third party to execute on their behalf. Okay, end quote. It sounds easy. Who needs real estate agents, closing attorneys, assessors, mortgage bankers, title insurers, municipal tax authorities, and all the rest? Just transfer some ether, at ether after, the company, uh, after the computers shake hands. But absent a global ANCAP revolution, I can't believe that that's in a story in the Atlantic, that phrase. That's both good and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> uh, those intermediaries are unlikely to disappear. Consider what would be required for distributed ledger scenarios like this one uh, to become a reality. Smart contracts require computational intermediation everywhere. Non-computational devices like parking lots and door locks and property deeds must become connected to computers. People would have to become willing to use machines that enter into decentralized contracts with other machines absent intermediary protection from government, law, banking, and other legacy infrastructures. Point being, how do you get everybody to agree to these uses? And uh, this is me saying this. Okay, Stalin breaking in. How do you get everybody to agree to use this shit? And how do you enforce it? This is what he's saying. My argument that I've been making for years. Reading on. The problems with those old institutions are many good. He's admitting that they're problems in a widely because I agree with that. They all are in a widely shared tale of voter suppression in the 2016 election. Eddie Lee Holloway Jr., a 58 year old Wisconsin man, couldn't vote because the state's new voter ID law demanded that he show proper identification. But an error on his birth certificate uh, certificate prevented him from getting a new ID in a future run by the distributed ledger. A single copy of. Halloway's identification would be securely stored on the blockchain, easily verifiable when needed. For the tech evangelists, it offers a rational solution that would solve social ills by means of impartial technology. On that note, blockchain-based digital IDs have also been proposed for refugees. Oh fuck, don't do that. Don't, don't. I, and I know what they're talking about. They linked or, I mean, I don't even have to look at what they were linking at. I they're probably talking about Bitnation. I've already said why Bitnation is such a terrible fucking idea. It is one of the worst ideas to ever come out of blockchain technology. Just straight up The people involved, whoo, don't deal with them. I have listeners that know the score on this too. But even just, you know, in the abstract, terrible idea. Do not give refugees IDs. The the only way they're ever going to make anything of themselves is if they stay, you know, relatively anonymous and they don't get fucking labeled by their religion, race, or anything else. Anyway. Anyway. It sure sounds good, but the scenario only works if the entire system of contemporary life becomes sufficiently interconnected to make it possible. All the departments of health and the DMVs and the voter registration venu- uh, venues, not to mention the parking spaces and the automobiles and the power grids and all the rest, would have to cohere around a common understanding so that the machines could execute smart contracts on their behalf. This would require a complete reinvention of public and private life. A different reinvention is more likely. Instead of defanging governments, you know, instead of disempowering them and big corporations, the distributed ledger offers those domains enormous incentive to consolidate their power and alliance, and influence for people like Eddie Lee Holloway Jr., who's African-American. That might mean even greater exclusion as the very institutions that locked him out of the voting booth might suppress his transformation into a digital ledger citizen in the first place. Or if not, other traumas might yet. Uh, uh, oh, what do they call that? I forget. I forget the term, <laughs> but like, where they change, like, uh, I mean, you can picture how this would make. Is uh, it gentrification? Yeah, gentrification, where you know during a voting process, okay, where like the the local government changes kind of the uh, uh you know the area that a certain voting populace, okay, uh, you know, like what representative, like what part what division of government that they can be able to vote upon. And, and then they'll, like they will shift it. Okay. Like Democrats will shift it maybe more towards where minorities live and all that. Cause they feel like that minority is often more, you know, vote Democrat or something. Okay. Uh, if you have it on the blockchain, I mean, you, you can just instantaneously change that, which is, you know, Oh no, this voter actually counts towards, uh, this district, this voter counts towards this district and this representative to make sure that that person gets in. Oh yeah. This could consolidate power really fast. It, it's, it's not it's not a long stretch. And I don't think I don't think that this is FUD. I don't think this is FUD at all, because we already know that there's electronic voter fraud. Why the fuck wouldn't they do it with blockchains? That's not that's not uncertain. That's a certainty. It's fucking government <laughs> synonymous with corruption. <laughs> Come on. Or if not uh the other traumas might yet face citizens like holloway in a society run by a blockchain a mandated dna test could accompany citizens blockchainification allowing their ethnic origins and medical predispositions to become attached to an identity record financial assets would be would also be connected thanks to an underlying cryptocurrency account through which they make debits and credits not to mention all the personal insights already consolidated by services like facebook There have already been stallion breaking in. There have already been companies, startups that I should call them startups. There have already been startups that have talked about doing this, where you get not a social security number, but you get like a wallet ID of some kind for either Bitcoin or some other currency or something. And that you carry that throughout your entire life. Again, who controls, you know, like, do you accept you know, the use of that, of even whatever that crypto, whatever that wallet is tied to, as far as a blockchain technology goes, um, you know, who really calls all the shots on that? I mean, to have like a worldwide blockchain ID system to work that way, like I said, and there are startups that want to do this and they have gotten funded. You're going to have to have some kind of centralized power that calls that shot, whether it's the developers, whether, you know, whatever it ends up happening. I mean, that one is a little more FUD, right? That description. But not so much because there are people that have, you know, there are startups that are wanting to do that. Reading on Uh, businesses might subscribe to this data. Thanks to the distributed ledger. It could be used to prevent their automated doors from opening for people whom a smart contract risk assessment service rates below a threshold of desirability left outside. Privately contracted security robots uh, might deploy uh, ledger backed ID scanners to sweep loiterers from private property. Once delivered and booked into jails, smart courts could automate sentences uh, sentences based on an automated assessment of future crime Potential. Okay. Now the future crime part. Yep. That, that could be considered kind of fud. Everything else in that paragraph, we already know that machine learning is getting used to assess judicial cases. We talked about it in an episode of sex and science hour. Stephanie raised beautiful points of why this is a terrible idea. Even if you accept the political system, why you wouldn't want that. Okay. So you've got a problem there. Uh, You know, these automated security robots, those are already happening and they're attacking five-year-olds. Yes, they are. Not Knight Industries. I'm trying to think of the 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 name. It's I'm pretty sure it's Night something. We I talked about them years ago when they first just announced that they were gonna release this shit. Now they're actually running around in malls. Okay. Um Yeah, I mean and and <laughs> it's funny, like this idea that, well, the doors won't open for, you know, for the right person. Uh, There's a there's a Philip K. Dick story that talks all about that. And of course, Philip K. Dick has been long dead. Uh, And he wrote it a long time ago where like, you know, you had to do all these microtransactions just to even be able to walk into a fucking door. This is not a new way of thinking. This is not something that just applies to blockchains. A lot of technological trends have looked in this direction, and it doesn't see, like, I I don't think it's so much FUD. The future crime part, forget about that. You know, and I I actually, I think it's, I think it's annoying that he brought that up because for a lot of people that that debunks his entire point, his entire story, because he goes so far with saying future crime but he was just theorizing. So whatever. Anyway. Uh, and that's reading on, and that's just America. Imagine how a mature authoritarian state would fare under the rule of blockchain. Is this starting to feel like a black mirror episode yet for Adam Greenfield? The anti-authoritarian left has profoundly misunderstood the corner into which an ambitious aspiration, uh, paints society quote. I believe distributed ledger enables the kind of central control. They've never in their worst nightmares contemplated. End quote. He tells me the irony would be tragic if it weren't also so frightening. The, inv- the, invitation to transform distributed ledger systems into the ultimate tool of corporate and author authoritarian control might be too great a temptation for human nature to forego stallion breaking in as i have said for so long you could with blockchain technology you could create tyranny of the code and the concerning part there's there's two more paragraphs i'm going to read them okay and then we're then we're going to we're going to wrap this up the con- the most concerning part for me okay you know with it is that because blockchain technology, like Bitcoin, has the ability to offer all of these systems of control through the incentivization that it's also money at the same time, that it is also the currency du jour. Okay, or if it becomes that is that there's the incentive to be assholes. There's the incentive to implement these systems because you could get paid for it. And this is another problem that I have. I don't want fucking everything blockchainized, okay? Some things are bad ideas, and I, I've, I've, this is another statement I've said for years. Just because something was a bad idea off of a blockchain, it doesn't suddenly become a good idea because you put it onto a blockchain. You understand? Government's bad no matter what, you, what technology you attach to it. It's never good. It's a bad idea. Some of these controls are inherently bad ideas. Putting them onto the blockchain does not make them okay, but they are incentivized to get put onto the blockchain because now you can make money. That's why this this is a future that I think is very possible, I mean, and potentially very real. Because there is incentive. Before, it was like, well, yeah, well, why the fuck would I make something so complex like a, like a door lock that wouldn't let somebody in based upon their ID number or something, right? Like, that's just stupid. Who, why the fuck would you want to do that? Just give somebody a key. That way you don't have to worry about having a centralized database of a bunch of ID numbers of who gets to walk into what, okay? It's, it's a, it was just a dumb idea. But now, here's the problem with blockchain technology, is that you can bake in value you can bake in monetary value into that and then suddenly it becomes a good idea to to the average person because i can make money off of it. Woo! Let me read just a little bit more. If this sounds familiar, it's because contemporary culture has been here before. The existing uh, comparatively modest surveillance and control technologies in use by Google, Facebook and their ilk whose impact on governments governance we now know all too well proliferated uh, on the assumption that technology could make life better and more efficient. Nobody chose this life. Exactly. People adopted technology in sufficient numbers to allow industry and the culture that follows it to conclude that the market had decided what was best. Likewise, Bitcoin's triumph hinges mostly on the financial success of speculators who never had any intention of using it as a currency and who appear to have strip it into, uh, into oblivion in the process. Similarly, blockchain's future seems tied to the short term vision of investors and entrepreneurs willing to speculate on a hypothetical distributed utopia without hedging against the consolidated autocracy. It seems uh, equally likely to realize, quote, this is what happens, end quote, Greenfield says, quote, when very bright people outsmart themselves, end quote. Oh, man. So, again, I don't agree with everything that was said here. I could certainly take umbrage with a lot of the terms used. Um, I mean, there there are a lot of issues in this article that are problematic, but there are great points, I think, that are brought up in that, you know, people want, I mean, look, understand, okay, I mean, I think one of the abstracts of this article is that people don't understand the philosophy behind, you know, what what created this technology in the first place. What created Bitcoin? And let's say it's some, you know, uh, flare of anarchism. Okay, doesn't have to be ancapism. Some flare. You know, we don't we don't know that Satoshi was an ancap, right? <laughs> um, I hope she wasn't. So, but anyway, you know. So if you don't, this is this is another point that I've I've made many a time. If you don't know why you need Bitcoin, just use PayPal. It works. You know this is the thing. Like, there's a reason Bitcoin came into existence. There, is, I agree. That's that's one of the abstracts of this article is that there's a reason. There's a philosophy behind why this is needed. And if people don't aren't on board with that philosophy, this technology could be perverted to do very terrible things. And like I said, could be used to, uh, you know, embolden, embrace. And and, and uh, enforce the status quo instead of demolish it peacefully. That's one of the biggest problems with this. To say nothing of the fact that when you start automating the fuck out of everything, you know, there was a great episode uh, of Sovereign Tech that I did. Uh, it was, was this a year ago? It was actually at a Bitcoin conference. It was in a hotel room. Woo! It was a good time with. MK Lords, the absolutely inimitable, amazing MK Lords, which by the way, find her on Patreon, give her the hookup. She deserves it. She does tremendous work. Okay. Just go to patreon.com slash MK Lords. It's awesome. And Stephanie, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, the three of us were talking and we all talked about how when you remove the human element and you just automate the fuck out of everything, when you remove the human element, I think there's a lot of, a lot of wiggle room that human freedom relies upon. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, cracks in the system that human freedom thrives within, that you eliminate. You know, a lot of uh, compassion, a lot of understanding that are, you know, and compassion is one of the basis of human existence, of the human condition. And I think when you pull that out of transactions, you're not creating a free market system. You're creating a fucking robotic market system. And I don't know that that's inherently free. I would argue that it's not. You need to have humans involved to understand what humans need. It's not, look, life's not black and white. This shit's complex, okay? And I don't care if AlphaGo beats everybody in the planet at the game of Go. That doesn't mean AlphaGo has any goddamn understanding about the human condition. Because it can't. It's good at a game. Ooh. That doesn't mean I want to turn over, you know, every aspect of my life to it and then have all of my, you know, all my finances attached to, to, to a wallet. Or Oh, f- fuck it. No, this is technology on steroids and steroids are, well, <laughs> steroids are bad, but <laughs> look, this, is just, this is the wrong direction. You're not looking at human freedom. You're just looking at really, I mean, this is this has such the potential for more centralization, even if it doesn't work with governments. And again, how are you going to enforce all of this shit? How do you do that? You can't. It stands so in contrast to human freedom. The best thing you can do, you, you know, all you're doing is complaining, Brian, and you're not giving any real solutions. Here's the solutions. Okay. You can use this stuff. You can use blockchain technologies. You can, you know, you can use Bitcoin. You can, what, whatever coin you have to create, whatever, you can use it. Keep it at very local levels though regionalize this technology that way people at least have the freedom to vote with their fucking feet and leave it if they feel the need to and it, they should be able to leave it without consequence because some of them are probably i mean one of the plans here is is for people to be born with this shit attached to them fuck that hmm These are old arguments. I'm glad I get to rehash some of them. And I'm glad. I mean, honestly, like in the end, this is almost a net win because if this article. I think this article is pretty popular. And if it's at least mentioning market anarchism, that's kind of a win, right? Okay. regardless of the FUD all wrapped around it, and you might see it as kind of a negative. Well, there's no really no such thing as negative press, but these are points that need to be brought up. He doesn't say it enough. I wish he brought up the enforcement argument just a little bit more. He kind of kind of dances around it. But that is one of the most important things that with any blockchain technology, when you talk about it, how the fuck is it going to be enforced? And people need to have goddamn answers for that. And they don't. The fact that two computers agree upon it isn't going to guarantee that, you know, somebody isn't going to walk on your land or something, okay? And what are you going to do? And that person walks on your land, you're going to say, hey, motherfucker, look at my blockchain. Look at my blockchain. This says I own this. And the person, I mean, it's like showing a credit card to a dog. The dog's going to look like, what the fuck is that? Am I supposed to eat it? Rightfully, I mean, mean, the person's going to look at it. Well, I, I, I didn't sign up for that. What the fuck are you talking about? Hopefully the person would be respectful enough to say, OK, well, you know, you feel this is your thing. I'll, I'll just walk away, you know, but that that's kind of the thing is that you really people need to get on board with the philosophy behind these uh, behind these technologies. They need to understand why they come into existence. Otherwise, if you implement them, it doesn't matter if you implement them because they don't get it. They don't understand why they needed it in the first place. And you're not really going to solve any kind of ethical or philosophical problems just with technology. Technology can't solve that. People have to understand why they want these things, why they need these things, you know, why, why they want to have their money. Uh, Uh, Taken away from central banks and all that. They have to understand that. Otherwise, they're just going to hand it over to more central banks that just happen to be blockchainized in this case. That's what will happen. People have to know. They have to be informed. They have to be knowledgeable. Is it an impossible task to get people on board with this stuff, to get people knowledgeable? Yeah, maybe. I agree with you. That might be a problem. Okay, because guess what? A lot of people are goddamn stupid. Yes, they are. You want proof that people are stupid here? We're probably not going to get to game talk. All right. So I'll give you one little drop of game talk. I saw the numbers for the amount of people and the amount of money that gets made through in-app purchases in fucking mobile games in like games like endless runners. Endless runners means it doesn't have an end. You get me. You just keep buying and buying and buying. It's crazy. The amount of the amount of people that play these things, the amount of hours played these things, the amount of money that these things make. Yes, people. So many of them are fucking stupid. And it has nothing to do with their goddamn race because most of the people playing that shit, (laughs) I guarantee you, they're your, ooh, your white culture. Yeah, a lot of people are stupid, okay? So what do you do? This is, again, this goes back to my solution. You just keep the shit regionalized. You get your little small community and you build yourself up around maybe some of your blockchain technologies and you just make sure that people can walk away if they need to. There you go. There you go. Because you're not going to educate everybody. You know, this is why I've said like, oh, Bitcoin, how are we going to grow Bitcoin? You don't need to grow it. Most people don't know why they need it. They're never going to accept it. It's not going to mean anything to their goddamn life. Okay, don't bother. Use Bitcoin where it's needed. For people to transact and things, to get life-saving drugs, to get recreational drugs, to get banned books. I've done that on the Silk Road. I mean, to do whatever. Just leave it to the people that actually need it. Let fucking all the morons, you know, use PayPal and whatever else. Giving them Bitcoin is not going to make them say, oh, I need to be an anarchist. Oh, we don't need government. Oh, we don't need that. I mean, it's just not. Get over it. Get over yourselves. I mean, what do you think you are? A bunch of colonialists coming to the Native Americans saying, look, we bring you culture. It's just, it's ridiculous. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I thought some great points were made and and again, like no answers are being forwarded. I've looked at a lot of the responses to this article. Uh, again, I don't agree 100% with the article. I think it gets a lot of things wrong, but it also brings up some very, very salient points, many of them. So, let's move on. But before I move on, let me tell you about boy. <laughs> Are you concerned about the blockchain now? Let me tell you something. You can get your hands on uh, that. That might be a little more, a little more to your taste. That being, whoo, precious metals: gold, silver, platinum, palladium all the precious metals you want. You just go to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, rrbi.co. Let him know the Golden Stallion sent you. Hell, you can tell him why you're going there. Say, he did this whole thing about cryptocurrencies, and now I'm a little skittish on the future that some other people have in mind for me. And so I'd like to get my hands on something that has a a more widely recognized value, perhaps, or something along those lines. Look, I'm not... Understand me. I love Bitcoin. I love cryptocurrencies. I'm not speaking against them. Okay. And neither is Roberts and Roberts Brokerage because they accept Bitcoin. They are a Bitcoin preferred business. Whoa, that is right on. That's the way you want to do it. So, you know, decentralize your wealth a bit just in case one of these things ever happen to fail. It's a great idea to do. You know, any any wealth building guidebook, uh, if it doesn't start off with that statement to diversify your wealth, uh, you might as well throw that thing in the trash. But you don't need to throw your gold and silver or Bitcoin in the trash. You can turn you can convert all that, you know, distribute your wealth and do it all through Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, one of the best businesses in the world. Jump on top of that. I, I mean, the guy that runs it, Tim Fry, he's the real deal. Tech geek, the whole thing. He gets it. He's not backwater. He knows the score. OK, and he wants to give you the hookups. So go to RRBI.co. All right. Let them know the Golden Stallions sent you. Believe me, they'll know who you're talking about. Uh, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech, a longtime sponsor, really honored uh, that, that, that they've, they've done that. So anyway. All right. Woo. We're going <laughs> to affiliates. I'm going to run a, just a little bit long on this one, but I got to do my review. Of Wonder Woman. We gotta talk Wonder Woman in this episode. Uh, because I was this is a movie that a lot of people are excited for. I am in their number is one of the people that was uh that was very, very excited about this. All right, real quick. I mean, bef- before I g- I get into the Wonder Woman review, I look, I just want to make this super clear. I am not, like I said during that ad, I am not against blockchain technologies, I am not against Bitcoin, all right, or, or you know, there's a few others that I'm very intrigued by. Look, I'm just saying, keep them regionalized. Make sure that there's always a bunch of them, not just one. You don't want a monoculture of money or of technology. You just don't. Like, <laughs> I mean, imagine, just for one second, just picture this, okay? Because Ethereum is trying to kind of, like, be the OS of, of the blockchain or something, right? Um, like, imagine if everybody had to use Windows. Seriously, like, picture that world. Yeah, that, that would suck. <laughs> I mean, they already kind of do. And <laughs> so... You know,, uh, and also, I mean, the other thing too is is you know the other solution is like just keep this stuff limited in its feature set, okay? Don't make it all like like Ethereum's trying to be kind of the DNA of everything. What happens if there's you know an exploit which is entirely possible due to its very nature being you know uh, turing vulnerable? You know what what happens when, when that happens and everything's kind of attached to it? Yeah, I mean, society's fucked. you know, individuals are fucked. So you want to have a bunch of these things and you want, you want to keep their feature sets very limited. That's why Bitcoin, the brilliance of Bitcoin was that, you know, there's a lot of limitations in the technology by design because that makes it a little more secure. And also, you know, I mean, this allows for other uses of like blockchain technology, uh, you know, but just, just keep this shit limited. Don't have everything in one fucking basket. Okay. It's one of the oldest phrases in the world. Don't, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's because it's, it's just, known. don't do that. I mean, that, that's like the, the very heart of decentralization. And when you want everything to run on one, well, you just centralize shit. I don't care if it's distributed, uh, at least in its, in its copy. Um, okay, now, whew, we're going to spend a few minutes. Let's do the Wonder Woman review. Honestly, I could do like a whole episode uh, reviewing Wonder Woman. Um, this is a character that if you've listened to uh, Patreon episodes, actually, where I've talked about comic books and they come up often, Cause I'm a huge comic book nerd. Um, I mean, you know, like I'm six foot one, I weigh two Oh five, you know, I'm, I'm huge. I'm a huge comic book nerd. <laughs> no, I mean, I've been reading comic books for as long as I've been able to read, uh, and probably even before. Uh, yeah. So wonder woman is one of those characters that I have, you, you know, I, I hold up as like the centerpiece of really of the DC universe more. So, I mean, you could say Batman's more popular. You could say that Superman is the most recognized uh, character, you know, maybe fictional character in history around the world. Um, I would not argue with either. You know, I, those arguments are ones that I I wouldn't argue much against whether I agree with them or not, but you know, it's kind of funny. I I hate this phrase because I I think it's stupid behind every great man is a great woman or something like that. That is one of the dumbest phrases in the world. Okay. But, admittedly like the connecting tissue of the DC universe really is wonder woman. So there'd be Batman wouldn't have what Batman has if there wasn't a wonder woman, you know, really to play off of Superman wouldn't have what, you know, wouldn't enjoy and appreciate. Uh, I think a lot of his popularity, if there wasn't a wonder woman, wonder woman really is the quintessential DC comics character. Okay. Um, and for her to have never really had a movie until now, is i mean it says it really it says so much um you know (laughs) i don't necessarily even like feel totally comfortable just talking about this on my own i need to bring in and i've spent so much energy doing this episode i think i need a doctor can i get
0: a doctor did somebody call for a doctor this is dr stephanie murphy (laughs) at your service and (laughs)
1: Go go ahead.
0: Brian just paused the recording (laughs) before you heard that. Brian paused the recording, leaned back in his chair, sighed, and said, I don't think I have the energy to do this. (laughs) And I said, why? Because you spent so much energy on that Ethereum bullshit? And he said, yeah, it just tired me the fuck out. (laughs) So here I am to help you with your Wonder Woman. Woo! I, to the rescue. I'm like a doctor. I'm like Wonder Woman. Now, I, I saw Wonder Woman with you. We saw it on Thursday night. Yeah, we
1: went Thursday night, 7 o'clock show. The first you know, showing.
0: I, the manager of the theater haven't even, hadn't even seen it yet. He was sti- he actually hadn't. They were doing their around. show. Yeah, for- they were doing their staff showing after we had right. our showing. <laughs> Which kudos. Thank you to the he was sticking around the during the credits to see if there was a scene. Usually, like, he knows if there's a scene. Because we know that, like, we go to the movies a lot. We have this local theater. The manager will come in often during the credits, and he'll Tell the people whether there's a scene or not after yeah, the credits. Yeah, and this time he didn't know because he was watching it himself. Yeah, and there is no post credit scene. No post credit scene. I felt cheated. I was I I was offended by well, that. Well,
1: let me comment on that quick. Okay, and and there's more I want to say. And Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Uh, <laughs> you called the doctor. So y- yeah, I had yeah. To, I'm on call.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. The, the the lack of a post credit scene I think maybe may actually after after ruminating on it I think it might be a good thing because that really allows um this it allows allows this movie to stand alone because the DC uh cinematic universe or extended universe I think they call it whatever but the DC cinematic universe really has has been in a lot of trouble I mean with the Batman movie the Justice League movie in fact the Justice League movie looks terrible. Um, or at least based upon the latest trailer, which you saw that as well, and I think you had a similar assessment. You're like, the CGI looks terrible. I mean...
0: Oh, it just, I didn't want to see the movie. Actually, there were no trailers during Wonder Woman that I actually wanted to see the film. They all look terrible. Well, I
1: think Atomic Blonde looks good, but otherwise, I agree. Yeah. Meh. yeah. Well, we've seen the trailer so many times that you feel like you've seen the movie, and I, and I understand Yeah, I that. feel
0: like I already saw the movie, and all I needed to do was watch the trailer, because they put all the best scenes in the trailer.
1: Right, yeah, the lesbian scenes and all that stuff, right? Yep. Which Yeah.
0: And the action stuff. But anyway. Yeah. So, um, and so, Charlize so, Theron always plays the same fucking character in every movie where she's a villain.
1: Except for Devil's Advocate, which I think is her best movie, one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, kind of. Ever since, like, Monster, they're yeah. always... Well, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with having badass female characters, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I get your well, point. Well, she's like this cold, calculating
0: villain that, like, never shows any emotion. And sure. that's, like, I guess that's probably... <sighs> when you're an actor, I can't imagine being happy like always playing those roles but anyway that's a total side tangent yeah yeah yeah.
1: i mean and i think somebody could probably somebody will probably bring up movies that she's been in where she plays like a happy-go-lucky mother or some kind of shit but okay whatever um so yeah yeah that's fair but you didn't like the justice league trailer but bottom line being is that the dc eu will call it extended universe is is really in trouble like i mean they they have so many problems ben affleck wants to walk i mean like there's there's huge issues here yeah um And so for Wonder Woman to stand on its own might not be a bad idea because,
0: you know, I think the problem was, okay, the whole movie was of Wonder Woman was leading up to the fucking Justice League movie. At the end of it, she's emailing Batman. She's emailing Bruce Wayne because he found a picture of her. Yeah, but I'm sorry.
1: Spoiler alert. (laughs) All right. Spoiler (laughs) alerts. Ahoy. I mean, I was going to do them anyway. All right. But well, hold on. So there. I that's not I don't really think that that has to be a lead up to the Justice League. In fact, they could have done that. A lot of people were expecting to see the Justice League like at the end of the film and they didn't do it. And I thought that that was very smart Uh, because all they're really referencing is a scene from Batman v. Superman, which a lot of people didn't like, you know, was a critical flop. Okay, it made money, but it was a critical flop. So I don't I don't think it has to attack. And they didn't. What would have I agree with you? I agree with your point in the abstract, because if like even if Ben Affleck showed up as Batman, I would have thought it would have like I I would have been like, no, bad, bad. Don't do that. Let this really stand on its own. I think they gave it connecting tissue because Gal Gadot or Gadot or however you pronounce it. She was in Batman v Superman, and I think she was the best part of the movie. Um, And so I think it was okay to have that connecting tissue to that, you know, Um, but I like I get your point. But I think I think they made it just enough to where it doesn't have to be a buildup to Justice League because you didn't. And and that's why there also wasn't this might be why also there wasn't a post credit scene, because that way you don't have to see what like in every Marvel movie. okay, that we go like Guardians of the Galaxy or something. There's always a post credit scene that is like hinting at a greater villain the next movie. This didn't do that at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I really don't think it did. And again, because the scene they're talking about the, the picture that she that that Bruce Wayne finds in Batman v Superman. The, which you didn't see that, um, which I don't blame you because it's three hours. It's 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 tough to wow. get through. I like the movie, but I mean, I like the ultimate edition of the movie, um, but it's tough to get through. So anyway, so I mean, so it's really just kind of addressing that more, I think. But I, I agree, like they dodged a bullet, in my opinion, because they could have gone a lot further with making it a prelude to the Justice League. And that would have been a failure, in my opinion, because I think they really need to keep... I think it's smart of them because this is going to be, I guarantee this is going to be a huge success of a film just because it's Wonder Woman, you know, finally getting your own movie. Um, And they need to leave this open to where it can be its own series and it never touches another movie again. You know, another another part of the series.
0: But it's like, okay, I get it if you want to dissociate from the rest of the movies in the Mm -hmm. universe, in the extended universe, but they didn't. Like the whole movie of Wonder Woman was like a story of Wonder Woman's life and how she got to today where she's working in some kind of jewelry shop or something. Well, it was an origin France. story, sure, yeah. It, it was an origin story, right. And so it leads you up to the present day by showing her childhood and how she grew up and what she did in World War One and why she's still in Europe okay, or wherever she is yeah. on Earth. Why she's still on Earth. Right. Right. Or, I mean, I guess she grew up on Earth, but why she's still in the human world or oh, whatever?
1: Yeah, oh, okay. So, I mean, like, I, I think we'll want to move past this. But, um, I mean, like, the, the Patty Jenkins, the director who did a fine job in this movie, um, she, has, she has come out and said, there's been some, like, confusing or conflicting reports on this. But she came out and said that the next movie she wants, she doesn't want it to take place in the present day. She wants it to be another period piece, maybe even World War II or something like that, which I think would be the right move. You know, don't keep this as far away from modern times. Wonder Woman doesn't need to be in modern times. Keep it as far away from that as possible. Uh, But some people are saying, like some other people at DC or Warner Brothers are saying, oh, no, the the next one's going to be contemporary. Uh, Patty Jenkins seems to not want to go in that direction, in that Mm -hmm. direction, which I hope is where they go, because then otherwise, yeah, it would just kind of feel like. A Justice League side story, which it doesn't. I don't want it to be. I'm with you in that you don't want it to be that, and it shouldn't be that. Um, I think I, I I I defer in that. I don't think this movie was a lead in, really. I mean, it it can be treated as one, but I don't think it has to be seen as one. So well, anyway.
0: okay, well that's very interesting because okay, so now we're going to start to get into some of the things that other people have said about the film, but that we uh, also f- observed. Um, one of the biggest things was that you know, there were some people talking about how this was supposed to be, like, a feminist movie. Mm-hmm. And even one, the Wonder Woman, the character of Wonder Woman, okay, she grows up on an all-female island. It's Paradise Island. There's no war there, right? right? Because yeah. it's all the women. mascara. yeah. Right? And, um, you know, she was... She's kind of like a goddess or a princess or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for lesbian stuff.
1: Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But- In the comic books now, it's, it's overt that...
0: Right, and originally the creator of the character Wonder Woman. Well, I I want to talk
1: about that. Or yeah, go ahead. Go
0: ahead and talk about it because I think it's relevant to what I'm about to say.
1: Okay, so the creator of Wonder Woman, um, the original guy was uh, was actually a psychologist and a writer, uh, William uh, Moulton Marston. Okay, and the interesting thing about about him is that Marston and his wife Elizabeth had a what, what used to be called a cohabitant. (laughs) <laughs> that being uh, Olive Byrne, yeah. Well, that's the thing. They both, his wife Elizabeth was bisexual. Mm-hmm. Olive Byrne, she was bisexual. They were in a they were in a love triad. They were in a love triangle. You know, and a happy one at that. Mm-hmm. In fact, he based, Marston based Wonder Woman on both of those women. That's why she's so, one could argue, is why she's so wonderful, because she's actually based on two women, uh-huh. you know, with all of their attributes kind of merged into one, which I think is a beautiful creation story uh, in real life, you know, of how Wonder Woman came to be, let alone her, her you know, fictional origin story of, of the mascara. It's an amazing thing. And, and you know, a lot of people misattribute, like, a lot of the bondage stuff, say in in wonder woman as being like disempowering and it's like oh yeah she always like she loses her power if her if her uh um you know like if her arms this is in the comic book there's not a stitch of this in the movie if her arms are tied up over her head or something uh-huh. like that that used to be a thing like decades ago it's not even in the comics anymore really uh but decades ago that used to be a thing uh but understand that the, this love triangle of marston and and uh you know elizabeth and olive Byrne, you know they're all into bdsm Like, I mean, openly like they're they're they were all into this whole kinky shit. So like this is a power trip for them. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like it was disempowering Wonder Woman. It's just you had to know what what Marston was secretly seeping into this character was seeping in so much revolutionary uh, 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 thought.
0: Right. Uh, as far as and love and years feminism. And later, people finally got it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, now people will talk about it. It's like, he okay, so h- they're polyamorous. He
0: had to hide it at the time. Yeah. Right, I mean, This right. had to be very uh, wink and a nod, right? But Yeah, which I mean, is everybody... the history
1: of comic books, because comic books are are so subversive. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they, they have been for a very long time. Continue. Sorry.
0: Yeah. But I mean, even like a Greek kind of island where it's all women, that's yeah. the island of Lesbos. Where the name lesbian comes from. <laughs>
1: well, well, it's, yeah, Themyscira. But yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, there is.
0: I know it has a different name in the comic books, but right, it's but the reference concept. to the concept of the island of Lesbos, exactly. In yes, Greece. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, this is like really, you know, feminism, like old old school feminism. This is it coming into fruition, like with 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 Wonder Woman. I think. Um, and...
0: Well, that's the thing. There were so many opportunities for this to be a real feminist film and for it to uh-huh. be a lesbian film. Yep. And or to at least make some reference to the obvious lesbian entendres that are associated with Wonder Woman. Yes. She's a character she's kinda like Xena. Like everybody knows Xena was like with her friend you know like oh Zena not, and gabriella friends right like, oh yeah 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 i mean even though she did stoop guys but it was but, a yeah. lesbian dog whistle like everybody they, <laughs> she was in the Subaru commercials right like oh yeah <laughs> if it, it, it was a lesbian dog whistle and so wonder woman is another one of those characters where it's like okay obviously this is lesbian right nobody that's not really controversial but it, it was almost like somebody either realized or was told during the making of this film, okay, we can't make it too gay because that, and we can't make it too like overtly feminist either because then this is not going to be a mainstream movie and it has to appeal to the mainstream. And so they really dumbed it down on those counts. Yeah. Yes, there were depictions of women um, training each other in, in battle and stuff, and and uh, women like you know shooting arrows and fighting with each other on the island and stuff like that. And there was the idea that there was no war in Paradise Island or Themiscara with all the women but then when you go into the world of men <laughs> then there's war and they're actually like it's like a hell like there's it's complete war yeah uh, because world war one was going on and like her mother warned her about it so there was that but it's like okay she's never seen a man before she's grown up for th- you know for whole childhood all around these women you know um And she's gone through puberty, you know, with all women. (laughs) Like, don't think she hasn't been with some of those women, right? And had some significant relationships by the time she gets to adulthood. Yeah. Right? And... She's never seen a man before, because there's no men on that island. Right. And then a, a male human pilot, like, crash lands. She saves his life, and she falls in love with him for, like, no reason that's shown, except that he defends her against the Nazis on the battle, or the Germans on the beach or whatever. Well... There's, like, really no good reason for her to fall in love with him, and also, like... Attraction has so much to do with how we're socialized and how we're raised. It's almost like expecting someone who was raised in a very homophobic culture to be attracted to the same sex. It's like it's not going to happen. She was not socialized to be attracted to men. And so she's not going to be attracted to men. I, I just thought that part was really unrealistic. OK, yeah. It's so easy for her to fall in love with him. It wouldn't be.
1: Yeah. OK, so um, I'm, I'm going to say this like like at, at this stage, I thought the movie was great. Okay, I have a lot of caveats around that fact, but I thought the movie was was really, really, really good. Um, I I know you kind of you feel a bit differently about that. Uh, I didn't think it was that good. Okay, All right. So now how with that said, I I agree. One of my caveats, I agree with everything you just said in that I don't think that this movie was radical enough. Like, I don't think it was feminist enough. No, you know,
0: (laughs) there were so many opportunities for it to be and it just wasn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, like I'm a supporter of feminism. Okay, Um, And it's
0: like, okay, a man is the entire reason she wants to fight for the world and stay in the human world and not go back to her island. Right. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways that could be interpreted, but. There were, like, I mean, there's definite points... Again, there's spoilers, folks. Deal with it. Um, there are definite points in the film that I felt like they were really conceding to making this movie not very feminist. For one, um, the the villainous of Dr. Poison. Um, they, they failed... This is one of the... This is... Usually, no matter how what people think of this movie, and it's I think it's Rotten Tomato score is like ninety two percent or something right now, which is huge. Mm-hmm. N- almost no movies get that. And wow, that really surprises me. Yeah, the only other superhero movies that get that, I, you know, are like the the um, uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman films, maybe like Superman from seventy eight, which this movie shares a lot with, I think. And I I, I do want to get into that at some point. Um, but uh, most people agree the villain sucked in in this movie, and I think like there was no point to having you, you effectively ended up with three main villains in this. Mm-hmm. While one could say that shows the strength of wonder woman is that she can on her own, because there were no other superheroes in this movie, which I, I applaud um, that she, since she took three villains on, you know, slightly super powered, you know, villains uh, that that speaks to the power of wonder woman. I can appreciate that point, but all of the villains were pretty mindless. Like I, I, I they had, they had no real depth, uh, to them at all. And I think making one of them a woman, Dr. Poison, mm-hmm. I think they purposely put her in there to make it seem like it wasn't Wonder Woman against all the men, you know, I a, do against too, men.
0: but I actually thought that was one of the most feminist things about the film. Because there's the stereotype that women are nice and they're not they're not strong. They're actually weak and uh-huh. they don't commit crimes. Right. When sometimes women do. And sometimes women are psychopaths. <laughs> it's not all men. <laughs> sure. Right. And and also they showed the care. like I think the the whole like Phantom of the Opera kind of mask that they had her wearing was yes. like a shorthand for like, OK, she's been hurt. Right. And yeah, that's why yeah, yeah. she's bad, because she's been hurt. And at the end, actually, when w- Wonder Woman has the opportunity to kill her and she lets her go.
1: Yes, this is true.
0: So I thought that those two aspects were, um, you know, it, it kind of speaks to the whole like sentencing gap, like when mm-hmm. when women get killed. When women commit the same crimes as men, men often get harsher sentences. Yeah. And women are less frequently even, like, accused or whatever. And But they do commit crimes sometimes. And so that is actually, like, there are some feminists that are working to, like, change that. Right. You know? And it's based on the sexist stereotype that women are weak and not capable of evil. Yeah.
1: So you're saying the, the, the character of Dr. Poison is... Like really creates an egalitarian view like it or creates like an equal view so. of that you no know, we're all capable of the same amount of good and evil I think Something so and I lines. think
0: and and also but it also showed that she because she let her go at the end, right um when she actually killed the the male general Ludendorff, she killed yeah. him, but yeah. she let Dr. Poison go,
1: and she kills Ares.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it, it shows like even though she was a villain, she's why? Why did Wonder Woman sort of take pity on her? Because she realized she had been hurt. Right. Because like her mask comes off right before she has the and oppor- Wonder Woman has the opportunity yeah. to kill her because she's another woman. Because she doesn't want to kill another woman.
1: I don't know. See, now I think I think you're reading. I I you. You could very well be right. And this is a failing of the movie that I think that could have been far more a beautiful, a far more beautiful point if they gave us more backstory and more insights into the villains, which they just fucking didn't. No, do. they really didn't. I mean, they, and,
0: and they, the movie was already so long anyway. And I thought like a lot of the, um, I thought a lot of the scenes of Wonder Woman's childhood were kind of too long, like almost unnecessary. We didn't need all that backstory, I don't think. And it was just like, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they could have spent more time characterizing the villains and making you really hate them and see them as villains.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to speak to that because I don't think this movie needed to be an origin story. I like that it started in world war one. I. I think it's interesting that you weren't seeing wonder woman in her full power until like say the end of the film, but I really don't think you needed an origin story for a wonder woman. Just have wonder woman be there. You don't have to explain her powers. You don't have to explain what she's got going on. Just have her go out there and kick ass. And the action scenes in this were tremendous. Um, but You I, know,
0: and I think that brings up another sort of feminist point. Uh-huh. A lot of people, and you and I actually talked about this right after the film, I didn't think that Gal Gadot was the best choice. I mean, she did a good job, right, with what she was given, but yes. I didn't think she was the best choice for casting for Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a great actress and everything, but the way she played her was, was kind of like really playing up the soft side and also just her physical appearance. Like, she really wasn't... Like I think of Wonder Woman, and I think of like a lot of strength, but also a lot of femininity, and that's represented in the way she's drawn with like buff muscles, but also big tits. Right, right.
1: Which is important. Like that's important. I talked about that in comic who she is. Yeah, in comic book writing, having like what you could consider exaggerated body parts and all that is incredibly important because you have to get across in a single panel what this person is and like she Wonder Woman is absolutely designed to be uh an example of what femininity what what femi- you know what what a woman can be mm-hmm. and so yes you go with those over exaggerated parts mm-hmm. and uh you can continue
0: and and Gal Gadot just did not have that body type she was more of a just thin and you couldn't really see that muscle definition which i thought was essential to Wonder Woman's character mm-hmm. and also just Wonder Woman is supposed to, this is going to sound nitpicky, but hear me out. I didn't like, whoever did the hair in this film, mm-hmm. I didn't think they did a very good job. Because they had these amazing hairstyles on Thim mascara with the uh, the French fishtail braids. Yeah, right, right. And they, when they did Gal Gadot's, it was like, it was messy. It was sloppy,
1: Mm, like okay. it didn't
0: it didn't look good.
1: That's interesting. They, they
0: had like hair flyaways and like little bumps. You're not supposed to have those bumps when you do braids. Trust me. Like, yeah, yeah, I've done those braids before. <laughs> I love to I love to braid hair. And it just I don't know. I just thought it could have been done better. And also then they tried to curl her hair towards the end of the film. Uh-huh. Like they had all these scenes where they would try to curl her hair, but she just kind of has like thin straight hair, and it didn't really work. Yeah, I really thought they should have put in hair extensions or a wig or something mm-hmm. because her natural hair. Was was not doing it for me.
1: Yeah. Yep. So I I agree. She's supposed
0: with, to have thick, flowing, curly hair.
1: Yeah. So I I agree. Uh, like, so Linda Carter, who played Wonder Woman in the Incredible, and I mean that. I love the series. Uh, the nineteen seventy seven uh, th- went three seasons. Wonder Woman. Linda Carter played Wonder Woman in that, and I think she has been. I mean, she was based off of the comic book, and she certainly has. I mean, her breasts are huge. You know, Linda Carter's. Um, I mean, she. She played, when you saw her being Wonder Woman, like, I don't think anybody looked from the comic book to the TV and said, that's not right. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, you you did it right there. And Linda Carter was actually, I mean, she's a, you know, total fitness, uh, uh, you know, fanatic. Um, I mean, so she, she kind of lives up to a lot of that, you know, of what Wonder Woman, you know, could look like. I, I largely agree. Like, I, so I agree with your statement. Like, Gal Gadot, I, th- I thought she, she did a great job. But is she my first choice for Wonder Woman? No. Like not, not even close. I think her acting was actually like far better than I've seen. I I mean, I I don't have a problem with Gal Gadot. She's been in one of my favorite series and one of your favorite series, uh, Fast Fast and and Furious. Furious, Uh, You know, I mean, I I have no beef with her. Okay. Um, I thought she did a fine job, but I agree. I don't think like I would have, There's a million other people I would have chosen. Um, I would have chosen. I probably would have went with some almost a female bodybuilder of a sort. Yeah. Or at least a fitness model more so. And Um, I think
0: that that choosing her for the casting and also how she really played up the soft side uh was part of softening the film and making it more acceptable because people don't want to see a strong woman. Yeah. Don't want to see a woman who is masculine or looks masculine or whatever. Yeah.
1: And I'm not saying look, I'm not saying that women like that. Women have to have like huge tits. You know, to be a woman or something. I totally disagree with that. I, I mean, I, I on a personal note, I love women of all shapes and sizes. You know, uh, but you do have a character with a history and that's known for certain things, and that has certain things she's trying to symbolize. Mm-hmm. I think it would have made sense. You know, and, and I do too. I, yeah.
0: And you know what else? You know what else? Um, I, I saw some people talking about this in other reviews, but they changed the character of Wonder Woman a lot because not only did they downplay the muscles and the the physical mm-hmm. attributes, but they also took away all the America out of her. Like she had a lot of like America. You know, well, I don't costumes mind that and stuff. I I don't, I'm not saying I mind it either. I just noticed it. It was different than Well, the Fox
1: part. News apparently talked about this. They complained that it wasn't a very patriotic film. Um, I think that's great. <laughs> you know, it made sure to know that war, No, World War One is a terrible thing. It shouldn't be. Um and that you know both sides need to stop fighting. Blah blah blah. I mean, like I, I thought that was that was okay. Uh, yes, that was a change that they made with the character, though. She doesn't have the stars on her, um, you know, on on her whatever underwear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, on, on, her, right. on her suit um, that she normally normally does. So those have she been had downplayed. Like stars and anyway. stripes, right? Before no, the, not stripes. Just not stripes. just the stars on the blue and the, on the lower part of the you know of her outfit. Yeah. Um, those have been downplayed quite a bit in the comics at various points anyway. Okay. Uh, but fair enough. But I don't, I don't mind that that's, that's not there. And if it pissed off Fox news, I'm okay with that too. Uh, but,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Like, I'm sure that was done on purpose. Right. And so why were they doing that? I think it was like, there were lots of trade-offs, right? They made it. So there was no lesbianism. They mm-hmm. took out the America Um, They made her a soft character and they made her fall in love with a man so that and, and also have a female villain so that they could show that she doesn't hate men. Yeah. Right. To make it more acceptable to the mainstream culture. Right. So they're almost like saying, look, look, she doesn't hate men. It's okay. Like you have to, you know, every time you say you're a feminist, you have to say, oh, but it doesn't mean I hate men. I'm not a man hater. Right. right? Like you have to coddle people and hold their hand and say, oh, don't worry, I don't hate men. (laughs) It's like they were doing that with the whole film. But in exchange for that, what they got to do was... Put in, <laughs> um, you know, a pretty strong, you know, kick ass Wonder Woman. But also there was a Nazi punch reference. Sure. There right. was a part where there's a German soldier. Yep. And it's not Nazis because it's not World War Two. It's no, World right. War One. It's, it's, it's clearly yeah. a German soldier. And she punches him in the face and gets knocked out and he falls backwards. And I think that was a clear reference to the whole Nazi punch. Oh, absolutely. I think they put that in on purpose. Absolutely. And because they knew that that was going to be controversial, they wanted to get away with it. So they softened down other aspects of the film.
1: Right. Okay. So now, um, you know, a few points that that kind of play off of what you were just saying. Like you know, thinking about it, the lack of Americanism—that was—I think that's totally right now. The the best place for uh, a movie to make money is in China. I don't mm-hmm. know if they're going to allow there's this to go in China. First thing, if, right? you, well, there's a, in Hollywood that that's a that's a new trend. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it was banned in Lebanon. I know about that. The reasons behind that, I actually talked about that in a Patreon hangout uh, that we did this week. That you, if you become a patron, you can listen to. Uh, but anyway. So yeah, that might be why there was a, you know, a, a sharp decline in the Americana in it, because this is a movie that's going to get played worldwide, you know, and they want everybody to kind of get on board with this character. The other interesting thing was that even in the comic books, you, you get a very clear sense that, that, that Wonder Woman talks with an American accent, like, or with just a, a you know, flat accent doesn't have, cause Gal Gadot is Jewish, you know, or she's Israeli. Yeah. I mean, Israeli, she's Jewish, yeah. Israeli. Um And so she has that accent. I applaud them for, I applaud the, uh, the production team for not having Gal Gadot get rid of her accent, but in having everybody else take on her accent on the mascara. (laughs) Like, I think that's the right move. You know, that that's, that's the, uh, the sensitive thing to do in my opinion. Um, but of course, initially I would have, I would have, you know, casted, uh, you know, an American woman, honestly, Mm -hmm. in in the role, just, just for, uh, you know, just for what's the term I'm looking for. (sighs) shit continuity (laughs) yeah for continuity i'll say that for continuity fidelity is the word i was looking for For, for fidelity with the comic books is why i would have done that um i have no problem obviously with a jewish woman playing wonder woman i mean i think that's you know that's that's really cool uh so anyway so that was interesting i think that also engenders or you know uh Yeah. And genders itself to to a more worldwide audience um, to have that. But now I want to speak on the couple other things that I think that they that they did to softened to soften the feminist message that this movie really could have and maybe should have had. Um, That is, is that uh, she she sleeps with, you know, she fucks Steve Trevor. Like it's very like they don't show anything, and that's part of the problem too. Is that they don't actually show Maybe, the sex scene. Yeah, the this was black. yeah. This is easily a movie meant for the widest possible audience you can get, and the widest amount yeah. of demographics from the youngest I, kid. I said to- during
0: the movie, it feels like where this is a kids' movie.
1: Yeah, they they really made it for a very wide demographic and and that's a failing I I think. Uh they they should have went full adult but they're not going to do that because they're they want this to be a huge money maker because again with all the problems that the is having, they need to make money somewhere because they're not they're not delivering elsewhere. I mean, not that they're afraid to to do adult movies. They did Suicide Squad, which is an incredibly adult movie. Um but I really think it was a failing to not have this be that. Anyway, regardless, um yeah, so so there's that. Like, and I, I think that that was a screw up. They should have never had her, her sleep with Steve Trevor. You never even got that sense in the 77, uh, uh, TV series that nothing like remotely like that happened. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was odd. Like I thought that was really out of place. Now you did get that one line where he's asking her, uh, you know, Steve Trevor played by Chris Pine, which I thought Chris Pine did a, just a knockout job. Um, I, I thought he was really cool. Of course, I also enjoy him as captain Kirk in the star Trek movies, um, but he, you know, he's asking her, is like, you know, do you pleasure? Do you have pleasure on your island? You know, everything. And she talks about like this 12 volume series this written by someone. that
0: she wrote, read about right. sexual pleasure. And
1: and she says the conclusion of it is that, yeah, men are needed for reproduction, but as far as pleasure, they're not worthwhile. Like you mm, don't need yeah.
0: them. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was like the one thing that, that was they like, put in.
1: Right. That was the one feminist. And like, and they should have ran with that a whole lot more, I, th- I thought. You know, that would have been so cool. I'm so supportive of that. Um, Right.
0: So if she really believes that men are not for having sex with for pleasure, uh why would she have sex with him? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Right. And that lends to the other major scene, I think, that was softening the feminism, which is there's this great scene where I mean, it's actually really it's kind of sexy where Steve Trevor is on the mascara and is in, like, this pool, this glowing pool of water. He's nude. And she comes in. He gets out, and obviously his junk's hanging. I mean, you don't see it, but you—you you, it's heavily suggested that she's, like, looking at it or whatever. I think she should have had a look of disgust. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, why why would anybody have, you know, a thing like that or something? Like, I thought that would have been interesting if they, if they went that far. Really? Like, I, I mean, and I'm, I'm saying this is a guy that loves to have sex and, you know, loves women and everything. I mean, I'm just saying that that would have fit. And I wouldn't have been offended by it. I would have been like, okay, uh, you know. And so that's another area where she's like, where they're making it seem like she's intrigued by the cock. That right. That that made it, you know, that 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 softened kind of the feminist like aspects the, of Wonder the Woman.
0: The mistaken belief that makes every guy like want to send dick pics to un, unasked for to yeah. women because they think they're going to see it and be like, oh, wow, I'm so turned on. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. I need is the sight of this thing, and I'm completely horny.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think Chris says Pine, no woman ever. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and and for a scene that kind of gets that that sort of fails on that angle, I think Chris Pine did the best job that he could with it. And obviously, Gal Gadot was under direction, be it from Patty Jenkins or whatever. And understand this movie is directed by a woman, which I applaud that as well, um, because to some degree, I I, I kind of feel there there's a need for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is with considering the content. Um, I I think that that plays up very well, even just in marketing materials. I mean, uh, it's an important aspect of it. So... Yeah. Like those, those are a lot of the areas where I feel like it really kind of knocked or like it, it, it failed in what, what I think a lot of people were expecting it to be was like this ultimate feminist movie. And it really wasn't, that doesn't mean it was bad. Like I said, I actually think it was a great movie for what it was. Um, one of the points I wanted to bring up was that Patty Jenkins herself, who again, I think did a great job directing. This is her first big movie production and she knocked it out of the park in my opinion. Um, She said she looked back to the Richard Donner Superman films, which I consider the quintessential superhero films. And she said, I wanted to go for that style. I think she really delivered on that. Mm. Like when they're at no man's land, which is very cleverly named, and Wonder Woman ends up, you know, just kicking ass and taking names in no man's land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, kind of on the front lines between Germans and the British. She's getting shot at with like a
0: hailstorm of bullets and she deflects all of them and just an,
1: crosses through it. It's an awesome action scene, in my opinion. I thought it was so well done. Uh, but
0: I like, yeah, I like that. Like, she almost never really she never wields a gun really like mm-hmm. it, she's either deflecting bullets with her shield and her wrist cuffs right or she's got a sword right and i think that was interesting
1: yeah so she um so what what i thought was great about that and what made it feel like a superman like a like a 70 78 superman movie was that she has the line where she's when she, before she's about to go out there she's like well it's what i'm gonna do you know and and richard donner like it, in in the original Superman movie from 78, my favorite scene is when he Superman saves. It's like the first time you see Superman in action, which is analogous to this is the first time you really see Wonder Woman in action and uniform and everything. Um, you know, he saves uh, Lois Lane from this helicopter crash and she just looks at him she, and she's like, you know, who are you? And he just says a friend. You know, and and it like that statement just says so much about who the character is, and I get chills, I, I have goosebumps right now just thinking about that scene of Superman because I think it's so powerful, and and I think when she just says it's what I'm gonna do, you know, and it is it, it was just a really badass moment um in, in the film, so yeah, I like that it harkened back to that kind of superhero style of of storytelling. I, I think that was that was the right move, but it wasn't what I was expecting, it wasn't what I was really wanting, but I. I appreciate it for what it is. Um, so, yeah, uh, one thing I think that we we can both of you and I can agree upon that was amazing in this movie was the music. The
0: music was great. Yeah. yeah
1: the score was just just fantastic. I mean, really, really intense. Granted, mm-hmm. there was that original theme done for Batman v. Superman uh, that Hans Zimmer composed, you know, that, you know, all that. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. The music was was awesome. Uh, give me give me some other thoughts, Stephanie. And we'll we'll, we'll wrap this up here because we're going long.
0: Okay, so two thoughts. Um one about the female director. I really did notice that the male gaze was kind of absent from the from the shots. Yes. Like, yes it was. That was that was very noticeable. Um all I could think of was comparing it to uh like Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. And there's just, you know, there's a scene where like I don't know, it's Catwoman or something. She's right. Riding... Oh, you're
1: talking about um uh not Batman Returns, but um the Dark Knight dark Rises. The Dark Knight, yeah. That's yeah, dark right. Dark Knight Rises, which you we went to theaters thank to see a few you. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. For but yes, that. Catwoman. She's yeah. riding on Anna a Hathaway. motorcycle,
0: and she, like, there's just a scene where the whole shot is just her ass. Following
1: her ass for like 30 seconds. For like
0: several seconds. It's yeah. like, okay, that's way over the top, right? Yep. Like, <laughs> that is what we mean by the male gaze. Yeah. It's a shot G A Z E.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: not, yeah, the male g- gays are a whole different story,
1: <laughs> <yeah>. right? <laughs> not G A Y S. <laughs> right.
0: Oh gosh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean like that's that's what people mean when they say that. It's like it's a perspective. It's it's showing it from a male's perspective that's looking at women and objectifying them.
1: Yeah, pretty much no no ass shots in this. And there's plenty of be- I mean Connie Nielsen's in this. There's plenty of like beautiful and Connie mm-hmm. Nielsen did did a fantastic job as a as a uh diana you know the character wonder woman uh as her mother um there's plenty of opportunity to do that and they never took that shot mm-hmm. you know and i i, I, I mean, agree everybody
0: looked really good anyway and the action yep. scenes were really cool but um but yeah no they never do those sort of cheap shots where it's like blatant you know throwing a bone to the men <laughs> like, right you know? right and uh, i I appreciated that another thing final comment that i wanted to say was there was an interesting mes- message in there i think about not being able to save the world because wonder woman starts out in the beginning and especially when she sees like the scenes of the war when she's in wherever they are like it about to cross over no no man's land mm-hmm. from the front of the war and she sees all these people like starving and in trouble and about to die she's like well we can't move on we have to save these people and everyone's telling her like look this is war you can't save everyone you're not going to be able to save all these people yeah and she's like well i'm gonna try anyway you know and she really wants to save everybody but then by the end of the movie she realizes that human beings have like good and bad in them and mm-hmm. they have a capacity for good and evil. And it, it's not that black and white, you know, and you, and you really can't save everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? I didn't really think about that. I, but it's there. I love that message.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great message. And I think it's also one, this is another feminist aspect perhaps, but I think it's one that a lot of women sort of learn uh-huh. Because, you know, when you grow up, you're kind of socialized to think that you should be responsible for saving the world. Mm-hmm. You're responsible for making other people happy. Right. You're supposed to be um, managing other people's feelings and making sure that other people don't get mad or upset or unhappy. And you're supposed to please them. And you're in, that's your job. Yeah. But Wonder Woman realizes by the end that it's not her job.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. she
0: chooses to say in the in the world of men, so called, but she's no no longer going to spend all of her time and energy on trying to save everybody, which to she knows is a fruitless effort.
1: Yeah, I mean in and, and like there's that she kinda has this naive uh naivete. Naivete, thank you. Uh she has this naivete of like all I have to do is kill Aries. Yeah, exactly. And and, and then the war will just end. He
0: represents all evil. Right. And if I just get rid of him, everyone will stop fighting. Yeah. And then she realizes that, okay, that's actually not true. Yeah, and
1: it kind of has the message, which I was kind of saying earlier in this episode on a different subject, which is that, look, life's very complex. Like there are no simple answers to this shit. You can't just go. Okay, we'll just take this out and then everything will be fine. Um, and that message, yeah, that message is there. Could have been a little driven harder home. And I think if Ares was a better villain in the movie, it could have been hard driven harder home. And maybe that's why I didn't see it initially. I'm glad you did though, because I think you're right. And I, I think that that's a, that is a fascinating uh, aspect to take away from this movie. This is a movie I plan on watching a couple, at least a couple more times, if not more than that, because I think there's a lot to take in. And I actually hope. DC has already been on the trend of when they do home video releases of their DCEU movies that they make extended versions or like ultimate oh, editions. that would be interesting. I would yeah. like to see that of this uh, mm. because I think there's a lot more that when you're that not would be three hours, <laughs> right? When you're not going after theatrical dollars, which this movie obviously was, which we talked about. Um, I think there's a there's an even greater film mm. that's that's really really possible here, like Batman v Superman. The Ultimate Edition, far better. It's a totally different film. It's way better, uh, and and so I, I I think this could be we could end up with the same situation with this. Mm. Um, I,
0: one more um, yep. one more message that I thought was in the in the film that mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. I really like unpacking these messages, by the way, because yeah, yeah. like we all get them one, on one level or another, consciously it, or but unconsciously. Like, yep. We don't often make them explicit and yes. like explain why the film sends that message. So anyway, the other message that I thought was interesting in there that was a message was, um, so Diana, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. um, as she's growing up as a little girl, her mother is like the queen of the island, right? Yes. And she... Diana is actually some kind of divine child. She's like the only child on the island, right? Mm-hmm. And Which is funny because at one point she says, they say she has to go to school. And it's like, okay, why are you going to school if you're the only child? <laughs> like, yeah. Aren't you unschooled or homeschooled or whatever? Um, but anyway, her mother kind of protects her from knowing the truth about who she actually is, which is she is some kind of a god. She's a god. She yeah. is a god. And she tells her that there's this sword that's called the god killer, but in reality diana is the god killer cuz right. only a god can kill another god and she is a god but she doesn't know that she's a god right. until she finds out much later so i th- and her mother says you have to like to the to the battle master or whatever the woman who's like the head yes. trainer of all the all the girls um she says you know diana can never know the truth about who she is you have to train her harder than anyone else so that she you know, is ready for anything and she's Mm -hmm. able to protect herself. And I thought, I just thought that was really interesting. And she ends up becoming an amazing fighter and she ends up like vanquishing this other god, Ares, that's plaguing everybody. Yeah. But he doesn't get rid of evil on earth, but she does kill this villain. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um... She gets to be the best fighter, partially because she believes she's mortal just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. She thinks that she's vulnerable. She doesn't think that she's invincible. Right. And... That is something that I think a lot of girls and women experience. They have a, they tend to, women tend to have a more realistic view of their own skills and even underestimate themselves a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be a motivation to push them to work harder and be better because they don't have that overconfident, inflated ego. Right. A a lot of times when people have an overconfident, inflated ego, they slack off. They don't try because they think they already are the best. So they don't have to push and learn. They don't think there's anything they need to learn because they already know it all yeah and that's a dangerous attitude to have because it can lead to complacency and it can lead to an overinflated sense of your own skills Mm -hmm. and so because she underestimates herself she finds that she's able to do this great thing. Yeah. And only then is she told the truth about how great her powers actually are.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, and I like, actually, I think that was, a, that was a message that I picked up on was that that was making sure she doesn't get drunk on her godlike power. Mm-hmm. You know, that she learns how to, like, be immortal and not, I mean, I it's... It's almost like it's almost a concept of you can't have the sweet without the sour like it, it's sort of in those in that vein it's not the best uh, way to, way to say it but like it, it it allows you to respect power when you know what it's like to not have it when you know how to handle things without having it it's like people that suddenly get a huge influx of money or something you know like they they waste it because they don't know they don't respect it mm-hmm. and you know I think it was it was kind of a teaching of respecting of power and everything that was, was it was an interesting uh, aspect of it So the other the other thing I want to bring up real quick is that I loved the fact that Steve Trevor was the seducer in this. Not of Wonder Woman, but like there's the scene with Dr. Poison where he is being the total flirt, the total seducer. He's trying to lay on the charm. Yeah, and he's doing a hell of a job. To get
0: information from her or something. Right, right.
1: That's usually the just the stock woman's role in in a production and it was so great to say no we're going to overtly make sure you know it's the guy that's going to do it this time and i thought that that was really cool like i thought that that was a nice role reversal mm-hmm. that just added on to you know kind of kind of the film overall
0: and also um he flirts with her by saying you're a genius
1: yeah right right it,
0: oh i want to know like what how did you come up with this idea for this poison gas you're such a genius yeah yeah and i feel like in a lot of movies that would work on a male character They'd right. be like, "Well, I am a genius, Let me show you my dick yeah. you know <laughs> um, but she didn't fall for it, and yeah. that that was the other thing interesting about that it didn't work on her because she could see that he was actually paying attention to Wonder Woman yeah, she yeah could yeah. see that he was not looking at her the whole time yeah and so it didn't work on her yeah
1: very nice scene um, yeah yeah so I, th- I thought that was interesting yeah that, that was a cool scene so anyway we're this is already I think might be the longest episode of Sovereign tech ever done uh, so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap it up here um, again I thought I thought it was a great movie the more I think about it the far better I think it actually is um, I still have, you know, my main caveats with it have to do with is that, like, I know comic books, I know the character of Wonder Woman very well in all of her forms. And I didn't really get that. But what I what I did get was very good, you know, but I just have to respect that that it's not what I was hoping it would be, you know. Um, And, uh, you know, and I, and look, I know, like Wonder Woman's not a full on I mean, the character in the comic books now is openly bisexual. um, You know, she admits to, you know, having lesbian sex gay sex and everything you know uh and she's been with superman she's been with batman i mean you know she certainly had time with the boys you know i understand that um you know but so yeah this is just a different movie and i mean if when the extended if if and when an extended or ultimate edition comes out i mean it may end up higher in my rankings which is amazing because honestly connie nielsen who i mentioned who played Mm -hmm. wonder woman's mother in this uh i just you know i kind of realized like she's in almost all of my, or she's in at least a couple of my top five really movies, uh, devil's advocate and gladiator, which is my favorite movie of all time. She's in both of those. I think she's a tremendous actress, gorgeous, of course, uh, just lots of talent, uh, you know, bottom line. And so who knows, maybe this will end up ranking very, very high in my list. I'm open to that. The more I think about it again, the more I really like it. I can't wait to see it again. Um, and I, I definitely recommend people, you know, it has my full marks to, to, to go and see. Um, but Stephanie, I mean, again, you were—you're were far more negative. Not—not your—not your favorite piece yeah, of work. Yeah,
0: I just thought it was too long. It was a little bit too much of a kids' movie. It had this like innocent kind of quality mm-hmm. to it, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the stuff, I, I just thought there were too many missed opportunities for lesbian stuff. And n- that is not to say you couldn't have some lesbian stuff in a kid's movie, right? If you have heterosexual love in a kid's movies, oh, um, I said, every yeah. Disney movie ever is a prince and a princess falling in love, right? <laughs> Pretty like, much. Yeah, and, and, you know, all the sex was like PG, right? I mean- Didn't even show What it. was the rating of this movie? Was it
1: PG-13? Uh, Might have been. I, I, I don't know off the top of my head.
0: Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't R. I mean, it, the only thing was maybe some violence, but- um, yeah, I mean, they didn't even show a lot of the violence directly, like when she plunges a sword in someone's heart, it doesn't show it. When she beats up another woman and takes her dress, it doesn't show it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. like a lot of it's not showing. Anyway, um, I just, I don't know. I just, and, and, the, and the casting of, of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. I just wasn't super into it. So I would give it maybe like a five stars out of 10.
1: Five out of 10? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm going to give it an eight right now just at, you know just thinking about it i wow. was thinking when i first saw it i was You're like yeah eh, give it a please. 7 no 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 Well, i'm thinking about it and and you know i'm i'm appreciating it for what it is and that's an important thing to do not everything citizen kane and and I, and i see like when i when i hear more about the production and what people had in mind i see more what they're talking about what they did and when i think about it i'm like oh yeah no they delivered on that that was that was the right move uh, but i'm totally with you That gal gadot was, would not be my first choice she did a great job but she would she would not be my first choice for wonder woman um you know and, and there's 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 a there's a few other issues. I don't know if I got if I covered everything, but that's okay. Uh, you know, we could just wrap this up. But I, I totally understand your perspective on it. I'm I'm actually totally with you. The movie was not gay enough. Like they oh. needed to gay it up a lot more. Oh yeah. Uh, and they they did not deliver on that. And I and and I mean really, all those guys that were complaining, all those crybabies, they were like, oh, "There's women's only showing. I want to be in there. I'm a guy. I should be able to see this." You know, which I love. Joss Whedon. Who uh no stranger to comic book movies, he did a he, he did a great tweet where he said, he's like, look, I saw it weeks ago. There was already a guy showing. Shut up. And I was like, yeah, right on, because he saw an early screening. I thought that that was good. Yeah. He's like, what are you going to do about that? It's like it was open to, you know, it was in a public theater. What are you going to do now? It just it wasn't necessarily open to the public. But then people respected it. Oh, oh, fuck it. Whatever. Anyway, they, these people that were complaining have to look like asses because this is not, this really was not like, the ultimate feminist film or, or no i was like going to say
0: i think if if women went to a all women showing of wonder woman expecting a feminist lesbian movie they were going to be sorely disappointed <laughs> yeah
1: but it is again I, I i agree with you but and but i do think that for what it is it's great um it is one of the i i would definitely rank it as one of the best superhero films ever made um i'd probably i might put it higher than anything marvel did except for maybe iron man um not better than any everything DC's done DC Still, even though everybody forgets about DC because they don't have their big cinematic universe built yet, DC still makes the best super has still historically made the best superhero films of all time. Uh, The 87 Batman, you know, the 78 Superman, uh, the the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. I mean, and they've also made some of the worst. I'll grant you that, but they've, they've easily made the best in history. Uh, And Wonder Woman stands pretty tall with all of those, in my opinion. So anyway, Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the show. If people want to find Stephanie and they hear that amazing voice of the real life wonder woman Hmm. at least in my life baby uh you know in fact we gotta get you would you wear a wonder woman outfit i don't Um, mean to put you on the spot i can edit that (laughs) out if you want
0: yeah i probably would but it depends on the purpose okay all right fair enough (laughs) i don't know i really (laughs) identify with that character so much no
1: fair enough absolutely so anyway you have plenty of starfleet uniforms so yeah yeah that's more my (laughs) speed yeah so uh but they can find you at smvoice.info where they cannot that's... hire you for wearing a Wonder Woman outfit but
0: No, that's right, but I just want to um if if you don't mind, I'd like to plug something real quick. Please. Check out my books on audible.com. I just released a book. Um, it's narrated by me, but it's by Andreas Antonopoulos. Uh-huh. And it's called The Internet of Money. And it's all like an intro book about Bitcoin. And it's a bunch of talks that Andreas has given about Bitcoin that got turned into a book. Definitely. Turned into an audio
1: book. Definitely appertainant to what I've talked about in this episode. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, pe-
0: and people seem to be digging it so far. It's got pretty good, you know, ratings and sales. So, yeah, um, do check you, that you out. You might like it too. It's The Internet of Money, by Andreas Antonopoulos, narrated by me. Awesome.
1: And if you, of course, if you want to support Sovereign Tech, please don't hesitate. You can donate Zcash, Bitcoin, or you can just become a patron uh on, on Patreon. Just go to sovereigntech.com, S-O-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and it will take you right there. And all it's just at least the dollar a month. Some people do significantly more than that, and I am honored. Uh, and uh, and you get access to hundreds of hours of, of exclusive content uh, that way and more content that comes out every week. There's, there's so many uh, people love the Patreon content, which I'm so happy. About. So check that out. Anyway, whew, there it is. We talked some Bitcoin. We talked some blockchain. We talked some Wonder Woman. We talked some virtual reality. All the good things in life, baby. And again, thank you, Stephanie, for being on. Whew, I will see you on the other side.
0: You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to sovereigntech.com. That's S O V R Y N tech.com and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love and love is not subject to law. So please share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution